Welcome to What's Left of the Watchmen, a Watchmen review podcast from a socialist perspective. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, uh, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? What up? Uh, I made a vegan chicken Alfredo tonight. Uh, it was a uh, vegan Alfredo sauce that uh, I didn't know existed. I Just one of those things I kind of stopped thinking about, right? And uh, somebody in one of our group chats uh, by the name of April was a great fan of ours. Uh, of uh, the work we do here uh she actually recommended it and, the show. Yep. uh and i i went down the, the i like walked to the grocery store like 12 minutes away and bought it that <laughs> that right then and there but i'd had it sitting on the shelf for about two weeks and i finally had it today and it's cashew based so it's kind of spendy right but it's really fucking super thick so a little bit goes a long way uh just you know basic noodles and then um i had some uh garden uh, soy-based uh, chicken strip things. Well, they weren't really strips. I chopped them up and uh, got a brand new skillet. I was back in, in uh, back home. Mom bought me like a nice $40 skillet. It's fucking amazing. Like nothing sticks to it. Uh, it heats evenly. It's got this ergonomical little handle. It's just fucking brilliant, right? That's the price you got to mm-hmm. pay to like not have like a toxic pan kill you is $40 yeah, yeah. apparently. That's true. Uh, I don't even know what they, what they need to be made out of to not be toxic. I just know that like $40 is how much you have to pay. To not not, not a, the usual cheap non-stick materials because right. that's just toxic as hell. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it was amazing. Uh, I, I've, I've been vegan 10 years and I'll, I think I probably have an had alfredo sauce and all that time uh or certainly not vegan alfredo sauce so yeah uh wow <laughs> it was <laughs> fucking great um nice. so yeah nice little nice little me I, I fucking tweeted out pictures of it I, I i like making shit and tweeting out pictures of food people like food they look like like looking at pictures of food and then when you put like the you know the packaging shit came in so they kind of know like what it was and you know what to look for and everything people like that shit so you know yeah Food brings people together. With ba- I should do that with baking because I, I I've been baking a lot lately, but I, I've never yeah. I've never thought to to post uh yeah to post pictures of it. But maybe made a yeah. really good cornbread for Thanksgiving. Absolutely, like, I, awesome from scratch. cornbread's fucking great. Yeah, um, yeah, you should do it. Do do little yeah. little photo photo shoot of your food prepping. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, cornbread and eggs, uh, used to make the cornbread. <laughs> Let's just get right into this episode because. Uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, these last nine weeks have been uh, just some of the most enjoyable uh, single seasons of of you know television. I think I've I've ever watched. I, I think I can safely say that now. You know, I mean, I guess we'll revisit that in a year from now. But I, I can't remember like, I, and I loved watching Game of Thrones and you know shows like The Leftovers, things like that. But just just the um, just just the conversation around this show every week has been um really fun for me as a viewer like just just like fun and engaging and you know just just to break down the different era like uh aspects of the show is has been a really enjoyable experience that goes beyond just the initial uh viewing and uh very few shows are able to deliver that uh so i you know it's a bummer that this is over, but I, I you know, there's I, we have so much to talk about about this episode that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to dig in. But what, what were your thoughts on the uh, the episode and the season overall? Well, I, I mean, as, as Manhattan always says, uh, nothing ever ends. Uh, and I think it was Entertainment Weekly already your life, bitch. that, no. <laughs> that uh, the cast is already re-signed for a second season. So 
Uh, yeah, of course they're going to do a second season. Lindelof basically said, if anything is made with the name Watchmen on it, uh, I want to be part of that. Right. So it's it's going to happen. Yeah. It's just he's know. also very like, uh, well, I don't want to do it unless I get a, an idea and a reason to do it, which is I, I appreciate. Well, I, I don't want him to just try to the, come the up reason with reason to do it is because there's always more story to tell when you've built up a, a world that big and that complex. And uh, the idea is going to come to him. <laughs> you know, it could be about anything. No, I, I think so. Too. He's already like set he's, up a whole bunch of loose ends that can, that can keep going just with this final episode. You know, you've got, uh, you know, the, the idea that, uh, childhood trauma is the source of, uh, you know, becoming a, a mask vigilante. Well, uh, you've got, you got one character that just, you know, basically is now uh, an orphan slash, uh, childless parent. I'm not really sure how it works when you're the clone of your, uh, <laughs> you're basically a child clone of your own, daughter's mother yeah i don't know <laughs> but you know clearly some, traumatized some hillbilly shit if it wasn't episodes, yeah. super yeah. scientific yeah um, um you know well, clearly he, we've, we we're gonna have either uh, a further cover-up of of what vite has done or it's going to be the trial of the century right so e- either way there's going to be a huge story there uh we've still got night owl in in prison like we still conceivably could have a whole another show just about you know him getting out we were we were as looking as, for the show about uh, you told me that there was people talking about Michael Keaton getting cast to play uh, an older Night Owl and I was like well yeah he's played Batman he's played Birdman he's played the Vulture and the Spider Man like he he has to play Night Owl now <laughs> and yeah and, and I mean they were just talking like fantasy casting but number one like as we were talking about he looks very, you know he, he 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 could definitely like pass for you know old Dan Dryberg looks wise but also. Um, he, he, I just he could fucking pull that performance off. Dude's a great actor who, you know, oh, really hasn't yeah. gotten a ton of work lately. But every time he gets work, it's like, you know, it's a it's a fucking excellent. It's an Oscar. You know, it's, it, it's a movie like Birdman, which won Best Picture, or like uh, the, the Founder, movie. which he was great in. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's nothing redeeming about that character. Right. And I love when movies are like, no, we're just going to make a completely unlikable character. And you're going to watch it. Yeah. And he does a fantastic job. You, you mentioned that somebody had mentioned Kevin Costner. And I was like, nah, way too sentimental. Right. We're not supposed to really like these characters. And I almost feel like this series uh, kind of smoothed the edges of that a little bit too much. A little bit. Well, Dryberg's um, not uh, probably one of the more likable characters of all. Like, sure. not that any of them are, you know what I mean? Like, he's the more, he's kind of schlubby and, like, related. But, like, he's, you know, he can't get his dick hard. Oh. Like, he's a very, you know, <laughs> uh, like, pitiable character, put it that way. But I think Costner's sure. maybe too, too good looking for to, he, to be Dryberg. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I did a side-by-side of the actor Patrick Wilson, who was terrifically cast in Snyder's film. I thought, I mean, Great. one of the things that people Excellent. don't acknowledge enough is how well that movie was cast. You know, where there's like no big, huge celebrities in that show. Right. Uh, I, I think with this, it was, you know, for Jeremy Irons to play mm. uh, to play Adrian Veidt, obviously like a much higher tier actor than some of the rest of those folks. But that that was kind of like, OK, because it fit the character so well. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the Patrick Wilson young looks very much like uh, like Michael Keaton older. I mean, the nose is obviously a little bit different, but like the, you know, the proportions of their eyes and nose and chin and forehead are like actually pretty yeah, similar. Yeah. So, you know, I know they're, they're, they're sticking to the comic book, but obviously you look at like, uh, you know, the, the I forget the actor's name, who played uh, Adrian Veidt in, in Snyder's film. And then you look at like Jeremy Irons and like they look sweet, think, very, yeah. yeah, they look very much alike. So clearly they knew that if they completely recast people to look totally different, that people weren't going to like that. Like they got to kind of go with some of that aesthetic. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And we'll we'll get into some possibilities for season two once we talk about the ending. Um, but I, I will say, uh, Lindelof kind of made a good point. He was like, look, I, you know, I, of course, HBO would, would, you know, back up the Brinks truck if I said, yeah, let's do a season two. Let's uh, let's get started on it next month uh, writing it. But uh, he he had a very specific reason that he made the series. They asked him like three times, like over the course of like six years to do Watchmen. And he always said, no, like he, cause he did, you know, he was, he was working on the leftovers and he was working on Promethea or alien cup, whatever the, the bad alien movie he made was. Um, and um, he was, uh, he just, he just didn't want to touch it. Cause he was afraid of it. Like, you know, he's afraid he couldn't do it justice. And, He's, he cited actually Ta-Nehisi Coates's essay in the Atlantic on the case for reparations and, you know, whatever else we might think about Ta-Nehisi Coates, I'm sure that, and I haven't read that essay, but I'm sure he did an uh, excellent job of laying out the case for reparations. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think he skews too neoliberal uh, with his politics in general, but I, he, he's good when he talks about historical issues, like no, you know, no shade on him for that. Um, but once he read that and really un- like read the story of the Tulsa massacre and kind of, you know, internalize that, that gave him his in for the season and wanting to tackle the issue of race in America. So he doesn't want to tackle another season unless he thinks he has a bigger theme uh, and something he really wants to say about it. Now, I mean, obviously they didn't solve racism in the end of this season, but I don't know if that would feel like a rehash if he just tried to churn out another cyclops plot or something you know like sure sure well i mean the the big uh you know uh, the the other big avenue that, that didn't get explored in this season that they just barely scratched the surface of is of course vietnam like you want to look at an yeah, atrocity yeah, uh that yeah. has not been you know hasn't been healed in any way shape or form uh, or hasn't been in, informed to people in this generation or or even people that were alive during the time that war just still have such a very you know when you when you tell people uh, this was Vietnam's war for independence. They're like, what? How dare you say that? Like, you can't possibly think that we invaded them and they were fighting to get us out for anything other than their own independence. Do you <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm really was surprised because, you know, I, they, you know, they show the, the aftermath and they show there's this liberation front and they show there's mass discontent with having to basically celebrate somebody who slaughtered millions of people, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and they just, you know, they kind of make it seem like that is still just like a fringe um, within this world. And, and even Angela kind of doesn't even see the injustice there, but very much sees the injustice of what happened to her ancestors in Tulsa. So, you know, I mean, if, if they really want to dig into that, they can. I don't know that they really need to necessarily. Like, it doesn't always have to be, I think, uh, you know, mining themes from the no, sure. novel. It can go forward. Uh, and there's enough elements that I don't know if you have to have a huge social justice, uh, you know, sort of backdrop. Well, I just think he might here. not want to do it personally, which is fine. I mean, I would be fine giving the show to a capable. I, I mean, I prefer if he did it because I think he did an excellent job with the show but i mean if he just doesn't feel that he can top or match what he did with the first season uh you know he talked about ryan coogler being somebody to possibly sure. step in for a season two. and who knows if he's even he hasn't said i don't think he said anything publicly about it but i'd fucking love i i think he's sure and i love damon but i think coogler is a far superior filmmaker you know certainly um so i'd love to see his take on it 
Well, I, I absolutely think that uh, the character of uh, Bien, uh, who we see sort of just being this clone, being fed, you know, someone else's memories or her own memories of, and and sort of reacting to that, like we know that that is there in her, right? But we also see yeah. this other side of her where she's she's like psychoanalyzing Angela uh, for what appears to be purely her own curiosity, you know. And she says it's for like her dissertation, so it's like, is she going to school now? Like, is she like? light years ahead in intelligence like her mother was apparently oh uh, she would be the yeah she would easily be the new true if, if they did another you know season of that in terms of i, like, I don't know if she'd be have the you know megalomania megalomaniacal side to her she seems a much more kind of even keeled uh person but still just like a young actor like i would love to see a whole show or uh you know kind of based around this character right totally new character yeah. totally interesting uh, kind of stole every small little scene she was in. Oh, she's um, clearly ambitious, but not you know trying to destroy the world, but also like capable of emotion. We see that last shot of her where she's just sort of in, sitting in the police car, bereft, uh, and and Pirate Jenny and um, and uh, Red, Red Scare with her masks off for the first time are kind of trying to like, console her and kind of be like, no hey, masks hey. in this episode, by the way. You noticed that it was very th- it was very fitting with the theme of the episode. Was it none of our? Yeah, I thought so. Oh, well, I guess there's um, the the game warden who gets his mask taken off and kind of you know has something. Oh yeah, to say I'm, about I'm, it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But but the whole thing was like you know you know both Vite and um, and Will you know have kind of their their thesis on masks and you know Vite's thesis and that's how he views the world is that masks make men cruel, hmm. um, and you know Will at the end. Uh, talks about how masks are uh where is it a really good quote about it yeah 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 yeah. it can't heal with under a mask wounds need air to breathe which is Mm -hmm. you know i I think it's a i think they're both true to an extent but i and they're you know not necessarily the same point but they're both uh telling of the way that those characters view the world and the way that they view themselves when they wore masks so um yeah, and, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. We're going to go through, you know, yeah. kind of each scene of the episode. So, but, like but, to, but to, yeah, just, you know, dance around a little bit yeah, and yeah, kind of get sure. a feel for things. And then we'll, we'll walk through, uh, you know, scene but, by scene. But two things quick. Uh, you know, you mentioned how, how true is a, a megalomaniac, and that's that's her white side. That's her father's side for sure, um, you know, of, of the two. Uh, you know, that's certainly the, the half white part of true that that's the megalomaniac, the white side. Um, oh, and it's crazy because it's, it's, it's like the, the, the maid who, you know, like the, the original BN is kind of just like, you're such a fucking maniac. I'm, I could just make, you know, like any, any person could make a baby with you and your kid will be a fucking nightmare. And that's how I'm going to get revenge on you for basically (laughs) just like, you know, using cheap refugee labor to run your fucking, you know, your whole compound. Kind of yeah i also i mean I, I have questions about the mechanics of her insemination i'm not sure that that's how that works. i mean maybe i'm an idiot maybe that is as, as simple as it is that you just shove a fucking turkey baster up there and squeeze it but it seems like there'd be some level of uh, more i don't know I, I mean, again i'm I mean, not, my, I'm not my a doctor question is you know adrian Vite was always you know uh came across as asexual right and he says he's never been with a woman now we don't know if that means that he is actually asexual or like ozymandias does not fuck roshek <laughs> roshek suspected he was homosexual i mean roshek was probably would interpret anyone asexual as homosexual because he has fucking no sexuality of his own he has no clue at what you know other possibilities i mean there there's are. there's there's some a good argument that he's a clot that roshek is actually a closeted homosexual which is why he sure. constantly projects that onto other people absolutely yeah but but just the, the idea that like 
Vite is asexual, but has, you know, jacked off loads into, into little test tubes. On, on <laughs> like for what? For tens of thousands of times. Like that was, that was sample 2,346. <laughs> like how many were fucking, what is he doing with all those? What was he going to do? And with it, was, it, it was like in the middle of the fridge too. So again, yeah, like you said, there's probably five to 7,000 vials of like, uh, like, like Vite come in that, in that <laughs> fridge. And it's like, well, I what? I say that, uh, that the meme of Alexander the Great uh, painting, kind of looking down disappointed and it's like uh you know disapproves of your desk fapping <laughs> it's just like <laughs> how many did Vite just sit there in that chair jerking off and like that's where he fucking did it and then just like all right put another one behind the painting <laughs> yeah, no. i have so many questions well all right let's get right into the episode because because that's one of the first scenes um yeah so the title of the episode is see how they fly uh of course you know multifaceted as are all the titles this season uh, obviously a reference to the line from I am the walrus, the beat of the famous, you know, amazing John Lennon composed Beatles song. Uh, it's also the you know closing credits of this uh, episode, although it's not the Beatles version. It's uh, a version by a band called Spooky Tooth. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about the, you know, you, you, you were like, oh, I couldn't chill out for the Beatles version. But I almost wonder if it was Lindelof's kind of ode to Tarantino, because it, it it almost gave me a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibe where they use like a really famous song and use a slightly less famous but contemporaneous version of it. Because I'd sure. never heard of this this version, uh, but apparently it came out in 1970. It wasn't like a modern cover. It was just like a, right. you know, bands used to do that. They would cover a fucking hit back. But it had like a fuzz rock quality to it the same way that... um uh keep keep you know the vanilla fudge keep uh keep me hanging on mm-hmm. from once upon a time in hollywood was a little more like like fuzz rock version of that song yeah, you know? the, the vocalist on that reminded me of joe cocker a little bit actually i um, thought it was joe cocker i was like oh joe cocker yeah I, the only thing i didn't like about the cover was they don't have like the the crazy like backup chorus like doing all like the weird fucking laughter in, on yeah, that song. All, the, all the fucking acid, <laughs> like all that shit, fucking yeah. crazy shit. I was just like, where is it? Where I, I, I was expecting that, you know, some version of that, but yeah, um, yeah, no, it, it's still somebody there. Somebody I saw somebody online made like a a Watchmen finale bingo card, and it was like all the things they thought could possibly happen. And one was like, uh, closing song uh, is a, um, a Nine Inch Nails cover of a pop song, but done in like a really like heartbreaking. Uh, piano version of it (laughs) which we didn't get but like clearly like they they were just taking things for their episodes um but yeah it was like 90 percent of the things on that bingo card did actually happen in this episode so clearly like we weren't the only ones making really accurate predictions uh that came true yeah and lyrically that song has a lot of you know and lindelof is kind of like you know like he 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 even said like i you know we semi-smugly kind of laughed about how all the lyrics you know basically play out in this episode you know uh, see how the you know the, the, the see how they fly like pigs from a gun. See how they run like all the cops running, and then the, I'm mm. the Eggman. There's a lot of thematic uh, resonance with the lyrics of the song in the yeah, whole series. For same sure. thing with the Beastie Boys Eggman song. You know, obviously yeah. a very similar thing with uh, you know Life on Mars, the Bowie song. Like you know, it's not hard to do things like that. Like you you just do a Google search for like you know song lyrics and like oh that kind of fits, and I can kind of change this one little element. Or those. To, to mash yeah yeah or they're so ubiquitous that like that like if i was writing a script that had eggs features a prominent uh you know touchstone i would be like oh yeah 
like uh, fucking I'm the walrus. Like that'd be a good song to close one of the episodes. With. You know, it's just something you always probably have in the back of your head if you if you're talking about certain themes. Um, yeah, no, I mean that, that, that's a really pretty easy one. Like just imagine you're making a you know a, like a documentary about honeybees. How many fucking songs are about honey out oh, there? Yeah. There's there like thousands. There's thousands of songs about honey, especially just like using honey and bees as a euphemism for sex. You know, it's just it's <laughs> like it it there's so many of them. You can just you can do it. Um, yeah yeah for sure um and and obviously eggs were a huge motif through the entirety of Watchmen. um you know even appearing in the first episode the first time we see angela and um you know lindelof i think was kind of trying to almost you know point to where he was not point to it but like it he wanted people to go back and be like oh shit so i guess yeah the eggs were significant because we i think we've been speculating for weeks like what the fuck is the deal with the eggs why are they just eggs all over every fucking episode it makes no sense but um Lindelof said since that like you know the clock was such a uh, such an omnipresent kind of thematic uh piece of imagery throughout the entire comic that he wanted eggs to be that for this episode and you know obviously with the ending uh and Angela finding the egg left behind which by the way I totally uh, I'm, I shot I was shooting myself in the foot because I predicted this to you like six days ago like literally the day after we recorded this episode you can corroborate this in the in our in our dm on twitter i was like oh my god i just fucking realized like you know the uh manhattan pulls the things out and he says watch the eggs and she smashes them and they make a really uh, uh, a point of prominently shooting the eggs smashing i was like she's gonna go back in the house after you know he died and find one fucking egg intact and it's gonna be his powers uh, that he bestowed upon her, but and I did predict that it would happen right after. You, you did. I will but, corroborate that. My, my only addition to it was thinking that was a little bit too simple, and I thought that like maybe he had been feeding her and the kids those eggs for years, and they had those powers and didn't know it yet, and like they it was like already baked into them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, clearly that doesn't it doesn't happen that way, and it's like much more overt. But then that becomes the cliffhanger, and it's like you know. It, it's one of those things where it really doesn't matter either way, right? Uh, it, it obviously, that was the end of the story. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's it's just it's it's not even like, you know, she. You know, we're we're sort of left not knowing, but it's like clearly she thinks that if she does this, she will have the powers that Manhattan had, right? Or or, or yeah. at the very least, he is you know his even if it's not his powers, it's really it's him, it's his essence. And this will somehow connect uh, her to him again. Uh, and we know, you know, we know that there really was a version of Manhattan on Mars, but it was like just an automaton version. We know that he can split off and be multiple places at once. Right. So uh, I I don't really think he's dead, uh, but also oh, it doesn't no, really matter. Sure. If, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there was some I part mean, of it, yeah. that in the in the finale. But anyway, we're, we're jumping way ahead. I didn't mean. Yeah, to yeah we're that, jumping but, ahead. Um but oh yeah, well, and we'll talk about that when we get to the end because I've I have more thoughts on that. But let's see. Okay, so um, we open with the uh, scene that we mentioned, uh, Ozymandias, Ozymandias recording his speech to Redford, uh, which we see in episode five. Uh, once once um, Looking Glass is in the uh, J.C. Penny, abandoned J.C. Penny, and he's shown the video. We see him recording this video. Um, we see. Um, this woman uh, walk into his office as he's recording and uh, steal one of his samples. We, you know, realize that it's uh, Lady True's mother, uh, who I, I think we, I don't know if we get a name for, but at, um, in any event, 
Is it be? Oh, okay. So she just named her daughter after the mother. <laughs> well, I mean, it is her mother. <laughs> it's just no, I know, so- but it, it's just it's just amazing. She's like, oh yeah, well, you know, well, I guess people name their daughters after their mothers. You know, like you know. Well, oh, you if, named you're, after if you're going to have a, a clone of your mother, might as well give her the same names and get confused. Okay, so, but. so OGBN uh, goes into Fight's office. Um, you know, cracks into his computer using the the untie knot password uh, or the Ramsey's second password, rather, which we've seen in the comics and in the in the movie. Um, opens up this big uh, safe behind his gigantic uh, portrait of uh, Alexander the Great, which sits and, as you mentioned, watches over his desk in judgment as he uh, jerks it <laughs> in vials to, to put into his into his cum fridge that's hidden behind his Alexander the Great poster. Uh, again, not really sure what he's keeping these for, but I guess, you know, well, I, maybe he, he assumes this will be historically significant. I'm not really apparently, but he's he's you know when this gets talked about later on, but he's clearly he doesn't want kids because he thinks that they're a distraction, uh, and he believes that Alexander the Great was was you know basically asexual and had no children, which is historically disputed. Uh, but at least it's it's a it's a part of Alexander the Great that he wants to emulate because he thinks that like you know that's uh, he he's he's a, a above. Uh, having actual children because he thinks everyone in the world is sort of like his metaphorical children he has to look after. Well, and he even calls him that last episode when he's talking to Game Warden in his uh, cell right. about how he has to get back to his children because, yeah, as you said, he views all of, all of humanity as his children. <laughs> it's his, his God it reminds complex. me of uh, Captain Picard in that sense where he has, he's like in mm-hmm. command of this ship of over a thousand people with kids on it, right? And, and takes that mm-hmm. duty very uh, seriously. But like hates actual children and hates interacting with them on a personal level. <laughs> they like make a really big point of that throughout the entire series. He just does not get along well with children at all, <laughs> which is really funny because like <laughs> to have a benevolent character that just can't connect with children, uh, I think it's just like a really interesting writing choice for, for any character. Very relatable too, um, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. So from there, um, you know, she, she, but so she steals one of her his seeds and seminates herself with it. And again, don't really understand the mechanics behind that. But I guess maybe that's you know a little squirt gun. pseudo realistic. Yes, right up in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you know, um, so that that is the the uh, conception of Lady True. Um, so uh, from there we flash right to two thousand eight. Uh, Vite is still at Karnak. This is I think a, a year before uh, Manhattan comes and gets him. Um, and, uh, we see, uh, a younger lady true coming to see him, coming to visit him, uh, at his, at his compound. Um, I love that, so he, that, that Arctic costume she had too. Um, oh, that was great. Like the, the quilted thing, but the, with like the, the gradient color on the back of it. And then the, uh, like the goggles that looked like it was a T like an old 1950s TV screen. Right. Um, sort of, Very sort of cool. reminiscent of, uh, the thing. Uh, John Carpenter's yeah 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 uh but yeah Yeah, just just kind of like you know he he, the way he greets her too he's just like (laughs) no no fans no like clearly people have been coming down to Antarctica (laughs) which is fucking insane yeah yeah like I I can't possibly get further away from anyone on the planet earth and there's still people that would just show up on my doorstep like really (laughs) this this late But he's still like not even wearing a J. He just kind of like opens the door and kind of stands there like vaguely cold, like wearing his fucking like little, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like his, his jacket, but not really much else. He's just like, you know, you know kind of 
I love every interaction he has with another character on the show, and it's such a rare occurrence since he's been talking to the same two people for, for the entirety of the series, essentially. Um, you know, in the little flashbacks we see. So it's just great to see him interacting with other characters and like playing off of them because he's such an amazing actor. It, it, that's like, is, yeah. And, and it's, it sucks electric. though. Cause like Jeremy Irons, uh, has put in, he's injected so much comedy into the character that was never there in the comics. It was never there in the scripts that Lindelof wrote. Jeremy Irons just makes it fucking funny because he just mm-hmm. knows how to exude the, the, just you know, the smug, like funny, like just the absurdity, like arrogance like and absurdity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly just how absurd it would be to be a person that fold themselves, but also aware of it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the kind of person that to, to kill time for eight years devises this just you know ludicrous, uh, you know, British countryside, uh, you know, captivity caper, <laughs> just to play it out <laughs> to cure himself from boredom. And Jeremy Irons, you know, looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, this guy's a fucking lunatic. And, and I, I, can yeah, tap yeah. That. I can tap into the comedy of it. But it, it humanizes him in such a way that kind of really makes you root for him. It makes him, him too likable. It, it, it does. does. It, like, yeah. it's, and, and then it's when you see that there's going to be consequences for his actions, finally, you're kind of like, no, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want him to be. Kidding. Yeah. A part of, a part of me was then that to keep reminding myself, like, no, they're right. He, he's a, he did kill three million people. Like, he should be held responsible but he did also like you do root for him at the end when when manhattan sends him back to karnak to save humanity it's so like all right yeah this is where this is what we've been waiting for motherfuckers he's gonna you know like so it's it is weird because he is ostensibly like uh, you know lex luther in the original comics you know and to think of him as this kind of like sort of lovable like affable like uh, megalomaniac in this series was an interesting take and I, and I but i think it i think it worked you know ultimately except for just kind of the last scene of him that that's the only scene where it was really like jarring but i i enjoyed his performance yeah immensely. i have a lot to say about the the ending there with um yeah, yeah. lori and looking, looking glass, glass once we get yeah. to that point yeah <clears throat> for sure um so he mentions uh in this conversation uh that is true that redford won't even return his calls uh he said he you know he thinks he would have you know redford would have won with or without my help he says uh as if mm. some cowboy actor could win the presidency you know which, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah little, another famous rr um wink which, to ronald reagan yeah. yeah, which actually the Redford thing was just an in-joke at the end of Watchmen because they were referring to a cowboy actor with the initials RR throughout Watchmen, and everyone just assumed that it was Ronald Reagan because of the time period, right. and it really was Robert Redford by the end of the comic. So that's why it's like, you know, he's the mirror, the Oof. liberal mirror of Ronald it, Reagan. It also always makes me think of the, the um, from Back to the Future when Marty goes back in time and goes to meet Doc and Doc's like, Oh, so who's the president in the nineteen eighties future boy? He's like Ronald Reagan. He's like, Ha Ronald Reagan, the actor? He like totally doesn't believe him whatsoever. (laughs) My favorite line is Jane Wyman, Secretary of State or something. (laughs) Um Yeah, no, I love that. Um yeah, so um you know in in this scene we see, you know, further uh further squid manipulation he does mention how it's essentially fully automated which explains how it kept running in the in the uh seven years that he was seven plus years i guess it's kind of you know and more ambiguous uh net that he was on uh europa um and somebody actually pointed out something to me is that he 
goes to Europa in 2009. And we are in 2019 in the story. Now, he was definitely there for slightly more than seven years because that seven-year cake was, like, completely molded. You know, they made a point of showing that in the final shot. But again, Mm. now that we know he was encased in that bronze statue, he could have been in True's possession for a year or two. Before she, you know, yeah, unthought not, him. Not or a whatever. huge difference, and, and clearly for going by Star Wars Carbonite rules, like he didn't, you know, lose any. He wasn't like trapped in there. He was like frozen, like yeah, in suspended animation. Exactly, exactly. I, I actually just, you know, not to jump ahead, but I, I love this shot mm-hmm. where he gets sprayed with all the gold stuff. Like that was a really good CGI transition shot that didn't look crappy. It was like, yeah, like, no. I was really impressed. I've never seen anything quite look that way before. Like I've never seen anyone get sprayed with gold and suddenly they're a statue uh, in a movie before. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, there's a bunch of steam and all of a sudden now they're now they're covered in this thing. And it's like I wonder oh. if they actually sprayed him with like like body paint and then just like used the cloud to transition to the shot of the statue or whatever. I don't know. Is it like his eyes were open? Pretty gr- it, was, it was gross as hell. Like I was like, oh god, like what a horrible yeah. process. Yeah, I wonder uh, if you even realized what what she was doing, or if he just like totally got fooled into like being turned into a statue. Well, when we get to that scene, I'll I'll go a little bit more about what I what I think it was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, time. let's let's save it. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, True mentions to him that she knows that Manhattan's not on Mars. She uh, f- first at first, you know, fully divulges her plan to him, which is that she wants to destroy him and take his power. Um, and you know, we, we speculate a lot about what the millennium clock, uh, was there to do, but she, she fully lays it out for him in the scene. Uh, it's, it's a quantum centrifuge, uh, designed to take his power, which, you know, she needed, uh, 31 billion from him or I forget the number, but 42. Yeah. That's that's still unclear to me. Cause like that orb that comes out of the clock clearly does all that shit, but like, what does the rest of the clock fucking do? <laughs> like, is the well, rest I of the think clock it's all- just a fucking regular clock? And that thing was just kind of up there Probably. for storage or, or what? But uh, yeah, the weird part is when, you know, when he sees it and he's like, oh my God, you actually built it. It like, is is he referring to the millennium clock itself or the orb that comes out of it that actually does all the shit to Manhattan? I'm not really clear I, I about would, that. Uh, yeah. it, it, it seemed like there's still like another function of the actual millennium clock that we still haven't seen yet, honestly. Hmm. It's possible. And, uh, you know, that's certainly something they can explore with beyond in the second season. Um, one of the, one of the things I love is, is, you know, um, when, when it first seems like that she is there to kind of, you know, um, butter him up for money, right. Or just be mm -hmm. like an Uber fan or whatever. Uh, you know, that like she's going to reveal that, uh, you know, she's his daughter eventually, but doesn't do that yet. But the, she can't help but like, you know, kick him in the balls a little bit right off the bat where she's like, oh, this is impressive. It's just you're doing a rerun over and over and over. And he's, <laughs> he's kind of like, yeah, but I'm keeping world peace. Right. She's yeah. like, yeah, but it's a rerun. And he's like, which which sticks in his craw for 10 plus years to the oh point where he, he, I know, he's ready to I know. fucking murder her. He's like, I'll show her a fucking rerun. Like, you know, oh, I know. So, and it's he fucking so just funny. comes out and says it like, oh, oh you, you don't like the squids? Well, guess what, bitch? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get more on that when we get there, too. But yeah, that so was so good. I another, love that. Like, look, I drop squids on shit. That's all I know how to fucking do. And I do it really well. So every fucking come problem. On. I, I, I had no one great is, come on. The solution is dropping the fucking squids on it. All right. Adrian fucking Vite. Yeah. 
It was, somebody posted that, reposted that meme of uh, Danny DeVito, you know, anyway, so I started blasting, but it was like, anyway, so I started squidding White's <laughs> like, head on his, uh, yes. on his body. I was like, yep, pretty much. That's his, uh, that's his go-to. <laughs> um, yeah, so she confirms she's his daughter. Um, he mentions his vial, vials of gum. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, I, I like that, like, you know, Veidt's portrayed as this kind of like, and we, we've repeatedly on the show talked about how he's neoliberal, and I'm not even sure that that's fully the way his character is being written on the show, but it's clear through his actions. Um, and, and it really was reinforced to me by the fact that that he really kind of gives her this, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type speech, uh, right. which to me is very in line with the kind of 90s, you know dlc uh right-wing democrats like it, he would fit in very well in like the clinton administration you know like certainly i think with the with, sure just with his ideology in general and like the you know well and uh, personality sort of to believe that like that's very much the kind of administration that robert redford as president has yeah presented, very much so. you know uh you know took away guns but you know still white supremacists have guns um did some fairly meaningless uh, police reforms that didn't really change anything. And we still have like a violent uh, fascist police force. That, like n- none of that really changed. Um, you know, you do have Band some cigarettes, level, nanny uh, state shit like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, we, we did get like some level of reparation. So like there is like at least a, a, a slight bit of cognition of uh, in the legacy of white supremacy. But uh, you know, I mean, it, it it is what it is. But yeah, you get the sense that like he, uh, him and he thought him and Redford were going to be best buds, and Redford's like, eh, you're kind of a little bit too crazy, and you may have uh, actually killed three million people, so I don't want to get too close with you, guy. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I so from there we go to the scene of uh, Vite back in the cell on Europa. Um, it seems like at least a year or so, or you know, some time has passed. His cake is still there. He's clearly losing his mind uh you know he's he, he he seems to not be completely with it um he's he's in full he's in full uh ozymandias regalia still which is is funny to me <laughs> he's just sitting there in his fucking cape it was totally clean um, though i mean he's living in a cellar and that that cape is totally fucking clean well so he wasn't wearing that in the last scene when he was first in prison, right? Like, he put it on probably knowing he was going to get rescued at that time, maybe? I don't remember. Yeah, I knew he had it on. I, I, his, I think he was, his, like, in, like, uh, kind of rags. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, afterwards. I think they must, you know, it, it's like British people. Like, they're fucking, yeah, we'll throw you in the fucking, in the dungeon, but, like, we'll still make sure your, your you know, sheets are nice and pressed. You know, that's, just, that's civilized, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, so, yeah, they probably yeah. came and cleaned it for him every day. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I so, love that, uh, it's, it's clear that like the, the, the mentality of like the, um, the regular help and, and the game warden is not the same, right? Like, cause the, that, you know, that horseshoe was put into the cake on purpose as a means to help him escape. Right. Uh, so whether he's really trained them to do all that, whether it was completely orchestrated or if he was really trying to like get them to be smarter and act on their own, which kind of, I, I think sense. the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's why when, you know, he was so, he's so elated, like, as you mentioned last, uh, two episodes ago, last episode, when he finds the horseshoe, uh, because he kept telling them not yet, and he realizes they finally understood when the right time was. <laughs> right. And and we get the full context of that this episode, because True mentions to him in that Karnak meeting in 2008 that she has this satellite that's going to orbit Europa at a very specific time. Um, which is why Vite knew that he would not be able to get out of there before, 
you know, 2019 or 2017, whatever time, whatever, when he knew that satellite would be passing. So he was just trying to pass the time and keep from going insane. um, Because he, I think at that point he probably figured, oh, fuck, well, John put the orb in and he doesn't even know I'm here. And I'm pretty much stuck here unless I can get a message to my daughter uh, to come save me. So it's almost, I mean, it's interesting to me because he clearly like, uh, you know, set up this scenario to have a more challenging life. But at the same time, he really did need to make a spacesuit and get out there and get those bodies out there to, to make the signal. Like that was a real thing. If he didn't get that in time, oh, yeah. like that was a real danger. So I wonder if it was almost like, oh, this is actually would be so easy for me. I have to make the challenge harder <laughs> to like, <laughs> you know, because otherwise I would just make a fucking spacesuit and be out there on day one. If that's if that's all it took, you know. Well, and he's such a and because he's the world's smartest man, he's constantly obsessed with finding a worthy adversary, and that's what you know the the, the conversation he has with the game warden about how he why he, that's why he created him the way he did is and why and you know he asks him, um, you know he basically says like I, I was trying to create a worthy adversary, and he asks him why he wore, makes him wear a mask, uh, and this is after he's he's stabbed him with the sharpened horseshoe um and he and you know he's and and game warden is dying he says why'd you make me wear a mask and he said because masks make men cruel um which we you know spoke about earlier but that's certainly the way that Veidt sees uh himself when he puts the mask on i think it helps him mask the 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 guilt of doing some of the things that he's done you know certainly well you felt really bad for that one who apparently was the first um was the first yeah, it was uh, really emotional creation. moment. I was like very surprised. Like, damn, this is yeah, because like- you could tell it wasn't his nature. His nature was to be like the other clones and to mm-hmm. you know wait on his master. That to, to be like this adversarial uh, character went against his programming. And you know, he's like, okay, well, you maybe do all this shit I want to do. Do I at least do a good job? And he's like, no. <laughs> like he's holding him as he's dying. He goes, was I a worthy adversary? And then Vice is like, no. Uh, but put, you put on, on a good show, show. chap. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> then he just like, has this terrible man, look on his face, where him, like, you know his his, his his dying thoughts were of inadequacy to like the one person he <laughs> wanted to serve more than anybody. Like I even um, shot you, and you caught the fucking bullet. God damn it! You know, like he probably yeah, has no what idea. What was that about? Like, by the way, was that like I, I I didn't quite understand that. Was that like? Are we supposed to? I I just I I didn't understand that at all. Was that like a fake? But like. He clearly no. caught it, so it was some he real projectile. The bullet. You don't remember when he did that in the comic book when Laurie shoots him? And he oh, yeah, the with the, yeah, no, that's true. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing with, with Vite is that he has trained himself to be better than everyone at everything. Uh, he's not just the smartest, he's the fastest, he's the yeah, best fighter. Okay. You know, he kills the comedian on his own. Laurie shoots him point blank and he catches the fucking bullet. And this was shortly after Rorschach said, you know, said that we used to joke that he could catch a bullet. Right. And he and he fucking actually does it now. Of course, the bullet still, you know, bloodies his hand doesn't go all the way through it. But he did literally catch it. It's like, OK. And then he's an know, old man. Now. I mean, he's not quite as quick sure. as he used to be. But if you've taught yourself how to catch a bullet, like there's clearly like you you <laughs> must be able to, you know, he, see something so, to know it's coming ahead of time a little bit. Uh, and he apparently has this power and he still has it. So I love that moment. I was just like, Haha, you can't shoot him. You'll just catch it. I totally forgot about that scene in the comic, but yeah, that was great. Um, yeah. and, but um, I think we need to get Mythbusters on this though. Cause I don't know. Like I, I genuinely like, I'm sure there's some like, you know, fucking like Kung Fu master who can catch a bullet with their teeth or some shit. But like, I, 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 I really want to test the theory that somebody could literally catch a bullet midair with their hands. If they time it to the nano or, you know, 
microsecond. Like, I don't, I feel like that's maybe not true, but I don't know. Because he's not like actually super powered in the comics. No, like he's not at all. He's just trained himself to do a lot of these things. And again, this is, it's, I mean, it's fucking, right, it's, it's, it's comics. Yeah, you gotta give a little travel time. Um, <laughs> but it's also, you know, he, he does get shot yeah. by Laurie with like a, a low caliber uh, revolver. You know, uh, and then this guy shoots him with like, you know, half a musket. So these are not real high trajectory rounds coming at him anyway. So <laughs> it, it's, it's certainly not plausible, but it's just it, it's it was I hate when people miss, especially YouTube reviewers, when they misuse the term callback when it's like, oh, this is a callback. It's like, no, that's just a thing that happened. Like somebody somebody was talking about um, somebody was talking about how uh, Looking Glass kept throwing up every time it got transported. Oh, that was a great callback to da da da. It's like no, that's everyone throws up when they it's get a side effect of being teleported. Yeah, like it, you it's, know, it's like very few people don't. That's not a callback, right? No, well, this <laughs> this actually was because the thing that almost never happens. A callback is a thing that doesn't happen very often. Uh, yeah. So clearly, like he's only done it twice, once thirty five years ago, and then now. So yeah, that was a callback to uh, to when he caught the bullet, when Laurie shot him and then he fucking kicks her in the stomach. Like really it's in the comic and it's in the, the Snyder film kicks her really fucking hard in the stomach and like knocks her to the ground, uh, which you, uh, something I'm going to talk about later on with Lori because she seems kind of, you know, above it all and apathetic to everything. But if you go back and you watch kind of how, who she was at the time and everything she went through, like she tried to, she tried to fucking kill him. She tried to fucking shoot Adrian Wright mm-hmm. and like straight up kill him. Right. And he just like caught the bullet and kicked her. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'll expound on, expound on this later, but I feel like a lot of her feeling of uh, helplessness was worsened in that moment, too. Um, yeah. So we'll get more on that later. For sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So as we mentioned, he knew he had to wait seven years because of the date of true satellite passing by Europa. Um, so he gets in this in the ship that she sends. Um which again, I guess we're just supposed to kind of assume she has, you know, at being a trillionaire and this being a slightly alternate universe, she has technology uh, in which you could send a ship, you know, uh, at at a faster than light speed to Europa to actually get there in some, you know, moderately decent amount of time. Because I think if you send any yeah. of our current spaceships, it would take decades to get. Well, to and you get the sure. sense that like the satellite she sent was with whatever technology existed then. And then later on, like there's that TED Talk uh, hologram that Angela's watching. She talks about inventing like the first microfusion uh, space propulsion thing mm. when she was a yeah. certain age, and it's like clearly that was after the point where she initially sent the satellite, right? So we get the sense that uh, her once you have the means level to build of, that, yeah. So like the 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 satellite took five years or seven years or whatever to get there, and then like the the rescue craft with the, the tripod with like the the uh, the scrotum <laughs> that Vite has to climb inside of uh, that that was sent later on, but got there much quicker. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, with all the Manhattan tech lying around, things were certain things happened a lot at a lot quicker rate than than current day. Even though some things never were invented, some other things were uh, invented far beyond our current technological capabilities. Um, <clears throat> so. He gets in there, the, the onboard uh, computer tells him to, you know, uh, get in the chamber for preservation. Um, 
as he gets in, he's he's <laughs> he's turned into the statue that we see, uh, you know, in earlier episodes, which I think we actually even predicted at the time. Like, oh, maybe he's just fucking frozen in there, and like he's already. Oh, so back. many people predicted that, yeah. And I was just yeah, like, no, I'm not saying I, we we exclusively, but I think that was like yeah. you know certainly a. Well, it's just the, we the world we live in that everyone is so you know sci-fi literate that we're just like he, he's in the statue <laughs> he's fucking, yeah, fucking yeah, carbonite. carbonite everyone just goes for that like we're just like what we're looking for every time there's like nothing nothing could be a surprise anymore because we're too fucking literate when it comes to this shit yeah yeah um so you know and, and it was a pretty like horrifying scene like the way they just fucking sprayed him with this shit and encased him um but and you, I, like I, you mentioned earlier you wanted to talk about his thoughts at that moment do you think he even realized what was happening or was like he just like um i think he's just happy to get out of there like he he walks into this giant um you know spaceship <clears throat> scrotum which i'm sure lindelof designed on purpose and he's sort of looking around for like a chair or controls or whatever and the voice is like prepare for for liftoff and he's like uh what do i do <laughs> there's, there's nothing to hold on to in here <laughs> Um, and even the floor is like a window and he can look straight down. He's, he, he's like nervous to stand on it. He like cowers back into the doorway. Yeah. That's, I would be too. Be like, right. Jesus fucking Christ. Like this is so like his mental changer. state is just kind of like just going along with whatever's happening. Cause he knows like, this is the only fucking Uber off this moon. It's right? like a fucking Wonka Vader that he's like, you know, stuck exactly. in. From the end yeah, exactly. Like so he's, Wonka. he's not, I mean, the smartest man in the world, but he's, he knows like this is his ride and he has, has to go along to whatever the, the fucking computer voice tells him to do. Right. Yeah. So once they lift off and that door opens and it's like, Oh, Hey, uh, you know, it's going to be a hot minute before we get back to Earth uh, so that you don't starve or dehydrate or go insane. Please step over into this thing. And it's like, of course, he's got to like put his <laughs> his hands on his hips in like a posture. Instructs seems, him to take a statue pose. Like, right. Which seems is like the most natural thing to him. He's like, oh, why wouldn't I <laughs> pose like this? You know, and then it just hits him with the fucking gold, uh, you know, varnish. And he's like, oh, oh OK. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and you get the sense from when he wakes up that uh you know that that was all acceptable to him he's he's not like what did you do to me he's like okay well that was that was the way to put me in stasis even yeah. though i apparently was a statue for uh about a year and a half longer than i needed to be yeah which he may not have even re- probably didn't realize at the time maybe eventually you know put it together um yeah but yes yeah, so the next scene we see is him being thought out um you know just kind of being worked on by True's people, uh, hosed down a little bit. Um, right before he's thought out, True's t- True tries to tell Beyond that she's uh, a clone of her mother, but she already knows. And again, pointing to the fact that she's a lot smarter than maybe even you know True realizes uh, that she already you know sussed that out on her own. Um, you know, <clears throat> certainly put puts that in, in play for future you know, seasons, whether what role she, even if she's not available, you know, whatever role she has to play, she'll certainly have a role. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, she, she really, uh, just takes the moment to rub it in to Osmandius about the only reason she brought him back is to let him watch her, uh, achieve something starting from nothing, you know, just again, she's very much her father's daughter in that she can't let slights go. Like anytime you fucking, you know, mm-hmm insult them they they just they hold grudges like they're very they're very petty even though they're they're insanely intelligent people uh and that's again i think something she certainly inherited from her father Um, right and and, you know and he's certainly narcissistic as he admits um you know got to be one to know one but he's also like his whole thing 
was he wasn't trying going for world domination. He really wasn't trying to be a conqueror the way that Alexander the Great was. Yeah. He really was trying to save the world, but still have like a position of being benevolent and recognized. Uh, but he sees in her really quickly, like she her her vision of a new world uh, is not going to be benevolent. It's going to be, you know, if anything, the opposite of what he was trying to create. Yeah. And I think ultimately you could argue, you know, his whether he thought it was benevolent or not ended up not, you know, being uh benevolent but i mean it's certainly she's she's the next step she's like you know to the nth degree uh her plan is far more egocentric than even his was i mean i i I agree and he's also not you know he's sort of content with you know look i i did what i could but i'm not going to go further than that to force people to be something they're not like i killed a bunch of people uh, and he's not interested in going any further than that. He's already had, yeah. had a lot of guilt about what he did do. Um, whereas if he really was maniacal, he'd be like, God damn it. Why didn't they turn into the perfect utopia the way I, I showed them how I'm going to fucking destroy them all now. Like that, <laughs> that seems almost more where kind of true is headed. <laughs> yeah. So um, from there, we, we uh, cut to the um, news newsstand uh, guy who we see in the earlier episodes um and uh late uh Bian goes up to the stand and followed by lady true who asked for her papers uh the guy you know recognizes her says i never thought you'd see i'd see you in person uh, and she basically says yeah well that's the last time you'll probably ever see me in this form um and she gives beyond the papers to put in the time capsule which for a second I, I it was like oh wait is she gonna like send everybody like you know three thousand years into the future as we predicted but then I was like oh no she just thinks this moment is like the most important moment in human history so she wants to preserve it you know as as that which is just right. like again another stroke of her you know well, like anyone would would fucking care what newspaper she bought on the day she became a god <laughs> right. you know like she doesn't even she uh, clearly doesn't read them right yeah <laughs> so. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah sure. I, I do. I do love the uh, the callback of uh, having the the old school newspaper stand guy there, uh, mm-hmm. who's kind of like very the, prominent in the comics. Yeah, you know the whole line: "Who watches the Watchmen?" You know, if anyone, it's the newspaper guy, right? Like he's the yeah. one who really has <laughs> interacts with has every a single feed. one of them. Yeah, and, and of course we don't have the internet, so of course re, you know print newspapers are still a big thing in 2018 in this world, right? So it's it's funny just the little touches like that where you don't even think about it, but you're like, oh yeah, newsstands are fucking weird, phone booths are fucking weird. Like we don't we don't have these things anymore, but right. in an internetless world, they they exist. Um. I, I I love this guy's exchange with Ozymandias. You know, Ozymandias goes and picks up a paper, goes, Robert Redford's still president? Like, you know, incredulously. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, tell me about it, man. Like, you know, just. Yeah. And then, well, it, it's a great uh, kind of, you know, sort of recognizes of him where we start with the beginning of the episode was him <clears throat> recording that uh, the, the video for Robert Redford where he thinks he's going to be like embraced with open arms by this new president that he believes that he installed as president and like tells him all the shit he did uh and then pretty much gets the cold shoulder from this guy so now he's like god damn it that guy's still president he totally fucking overturned my calls <laughs> yeah he's like oh you look like adrian vipe but uh, i don't know you're a little, little little too old but you can play him at parties or <laughs> play him at children's like birthday parties <laughs> seriously so good so good um yeah i love how annoyed he was by that um he has that really interesting quote and i actually did i meant to look it up and i didn't have time about how israel is desolate and palestine like that whole israel palestine quote which i think was actually from 
revelations because you know this is again we we talk on the main show about how the reason right-wing evangelicals support Israel so fervently, uh, besides the fact that they all hate Muslims, that they're, that they're Islamophobes, and they believe in a fucking new crusade. You know, Eric Prince's entire mission with Blackwater is to fucking kill as many Muslims as he can. But mm. the other reason they support Israel so much is because in the Bible, it's prophesied <laughs> that uh, the Israelites take back the entirety of the land, and, and essentially that has to happen before um, Jesus can come back. So I think that that was a quote from revelations if i'm not mistaken um and, and then much. he says the end is nigh which is you know yeah. again thematically significant um yeah and, and, and it, it's a call back to the the song that was playing when we first see him in his workshop which is that israelite song so i just thought that there's a lot of interesting things they're playing with i don't know if there's any bigger for sure you know thing sure. there but it's interesting well and you don't really get a sense of um you know like the the world's about to end uh, without a little mm-hmm. bit of that that expository dialogue, the way you do with the comic, where you you actually see, uh, you know, uh, Henry Kissinger and and uh, uh, Nixon in the war room, and they're at DefCon uh, one or five. I, I can't remember one, which one is the yeah, bad one. One, yeah. one, I believe, is is right, I think, right. Is and even one. then, it's kind of like, are we really going to war? Like they don't really make it very <laughs> yeah. poignant point about that. We just get the sense that like we must have been because Vite killed all those people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I do kind of like this story more because with the comic book, like the, to to kind of have that objective uh, perspective where it's like we're we're with the characters and then suddenly we're in the war room with with uh, you know Kissinger and Nixon, like we never we we're never not with our main characters on this show, right? We don't we don't know what Robert Redford's up to or what they're thinking, right? So we we really have a much more subjective reality with this, and I I think that works better for the story. Um, but yeah, we don't really, we don't really know what true is going to do. She says she wants to get rid of all the nuclear weapons, but it's like, well, wouldn't they just make more? Right. And like, what would she really do with the nuclear weapons? Like, would she just vaporize them? Would she get rid of them? Or would she, you know, like we, <laughs> and, what, and what else would she do with Manhattan's Pat? Like she's clearly an ego, like the whole thing with John Osterman. And this is, I, you know, something I want to talk about later, but I guess we could talk about it now is that it, it's not just that he has these powers, right? It, it the his personality despite the fact that he is so <clears throat> aloof at times um because he just is, has trouble like you know relating to humanity is still informed by who he is he is at his core you know somebody who is you know a refugee and he doesn't have any family he's very you know the reason he's he clings to personal connection so much and that that's still a part of his life that's so um omnipresence is kind of one weakness is his his need for love i think is colored by the fact that his mother you know left him when he was a child his father was withholding um he has no other family because they escaped the holocaust like he's a very Mm. fundamentally lonely person which is why you know he seeks connection what does that look like in somebody like true and what would that look like that power what would that look like on someone like angela who's way more adjusted and has a family and has these connections like would she be, be able, better able to handle like I, you know that and that's something we could talk a little bit more about at the end but i i, I wonder what true like if true you know would be just a a, a you know I, I wonder if it's almost like i hate to compare it to a lesser art but like a, almost like the mask where like um you know it, it, it's affect that the powers are affected by the user it's not just 
all users act exactly the same way when they're given this power. It's like your personality. Right. Well, that's what that's it. what what Vite says. You know, like he's not knocking John for having the powers. Uh, he knows that that was the threat to his original plan until. Uh, you know, Manhattan basically just, it took very little convincing to go along with it. <laughs> so, but, yeah. but he had all these contingency plans to like take him out because he thought he was a huge threat. Right. Um, even though he, he probably wouldn't have been, but yeah, I mean like, you know, Osterman was a watchmaker who started working on, on, uh, you know, physics stuff after the nuclear bomb got dropped. It was like, oh, okay, the, this is a more lucrative field. Right. But even after he becomes yeah. Dr. Manhattan, he doesn't, he still does the same work. Like he's still working on stuff for the, you know, like machines and, and generators and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. for the government. Right. So it's not like he's like, Oh, I'm a God now. I'm going to fucking do terrible shit to, I'm going to fucking change everything. Like he still does the same job. He can just like levitate shit and gears and cogs. And, 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 or, and, and on the flip side, he doesn't do amazingly benevolent shit either. He's still John Osterman. He just has right. this guy like, they make a point of saying he is all God and all man. He's not one or the other, or he's not half. Like he is all John Osterman and all Dr. Manhattan. And he didn't seek out any of that. He wasn't looking for it. It was a horrible accident. And he, you know, was, was dead for months before he basically congealed back together. Uh, you know, from, from what he tells, it's none of that was fun for him. (laughs) You know, uh, his existence (laughs) isn't particularly fun. Uh, he seems depressed most of the time, um, curious about yeah. some things, bored by things, falls in love, falls in love with a fucking 16 year old. Like eh, even in the eighties, that's a little uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but here it, clearly that's very different than somebody that wants the power and is willing to, to, you know, kill people to get it, uh, in order to do, you know, what they claim are good deeds, which th- th- it never works out that way. Right. Uh, so yeah, Vite is right to be really wary of her but he's also yeah. like you know when when she tells him her her plan to kill him you'd think he'd get on the phone and be like hey john uh this my daughter that i just met is gonna try to kill you you might want to watch out but it's like he he doesn't that never even occurs to him he's just to like be well, fair, john, he probably doesn't even think she would be capable of like he probably thought like all oh, this little yeah. fucking scam like, or he never... was like well i tried to kill him myself so i can't really falter for that <laughs> you know <laughs> So, or it was arrogance of like, well, I'm the smartest man in the world and I couldn't kill him. So what the fuck is she going to be able to do? Like not realizing that she's, you know, or he knows that John can can see everything already. So, you know, by the time it's going to happen, he's like, oh, it's probably already done already. I don't really care. I'm just, I want to fucking get that bitch with my fucking frozen squids. (laughs) 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 I could take out my child with, show her what the fucking rerun looks like. Yeah. Some some fucking uh, some some corporal punishment, some tough love from from daddy to uh, yeah. No, um. So yeah. So back to the back to the the, the episode. So um. We we then go to um <clears throat> the uh seven k situation where Laurie is still in captivity. They put her in this chair in front of this chamber that they built. Um. They start bringing in all these old Cyclops fucks. I couldn't, you know, I, I initially wrote down they bring bringing in some old, you know, geriatric Cyclops fuck turned out to be uh, Keen Sr., you know, the original uh, Senator Keen. Um, and they're all there to witness the transformation of Joe Keen Jr. into Dr. Manhattan. Um, oh, yeah. Know, so. and, and, and very, uh, very being John Malkovich slash get out vibe with that crowd. Yes, very, very. Um, yeah, <laughs> no accident uh, for sure. Um, and, and I love this scene cause you, you know, the Keen jr. 
really gets to shine, like really gets to go on his manifesto, oh, so white good. supremacy. Uh, you know, in, in, in talking about like, oh, we had to apologize for our ancestors for being white and all this stuff. And somebody like looked up his exact lines and it's, it's like almost verbatim lifted from this speech by Mitt Romney uh, when he was like debating Obama. Oh, it was so it was so realistic to me. And I saw people online being yeah. like, oh, this is so over the top. I'm like, Tucker Carlson says shit like this every night on his fucking show. Right. Like, this is not, this is like so, a verbatim what these people are pushing out into the like. You watch like a Ben Shapiro show, like this is the shit that they, and I don't recommend that. This is the shit that they say, like to to uh, comfort their fragile white male viewers who sure. you know feel like they need to. And it's a total overcorrection for a problem that's not real. You know this this problem of overcorrection, like which right. has just never right. happened, is never going to happen well, because our so I is too I wondered, uh, you know why why did Keane Junior think that you know to prepare for this transformation to being manhattan he had to wear manhattan's special like weird ass black panties and then i was like oh it makes makes total fucking sense because he's he's clearly they're pattering they're they're like he is based off of a version of mitt romney who's a mormon that believes in magic underpants (laughs) (laughs) it all makes sense (laughs) <laughs> no, for sure. And also, I mean, and also, they're just you know, it, it, these guys are not fucking geniuses, which we learned in this episode. Um, I do love how he, when when he does, you know, uh, oh, so for, before that, um, you know, Looking Glass in his Warshack mask comes up behind Lori, says, you know, don't turn around, like just says, you know, don't turn around, I'm gonna get you out of here. Uh, still insists on calling a mirror guy, which I find funny. Yeah, he still insists on correcting her. He's not even like, <laughs> "All right, fine, we're in this, we're in this shit together. You can call me whatever you want." He's like, "You know, it's Looking Glass. Like, I don't have, care what the fuck happens. The world's <laughs> ending. Funny. I am going to make you know I will, my. Real I will blow name. my cover for you to say my real fucking name. Do not don't look at me. Look. Don't look at me. It's Looking Glass. Don't fucking look at me." <laughs> so I love when they teleport Manhattan in. Um, you know, Jakeen just goes, "I got you, you blue fuck. I got you." Um, he, I, I thought he did a great job in this scene. The guy who plays Joe Keen, just really, really hamming it up. Yeah. Um, you know, very believable. Like as we said to to the kind of rhetoric you hear from the, well, the you know, the, uh, so, the some reviews uh, were, were talking about how it was weird how you know all the white supremacy is kind of shown in flashback, right? And we don't really get to see mm-hmm. his characters really being racist on their own. But you know, it's 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 heavily implied. But you know, they they catch him. And clearly they know that or they were told by, you know, true that, uh, you know, Manhattan had turned himself into a black man. Right. Um, but w- when when they see him as a black guy in their cage, they react to him not really as though it's Manhattan. They react to him, you know, like here here's the, the, the black man in general who we've now captured and, and can, uh, you know, subjugate once again. That's the yeah. reaction to him. It's not like, hey, why is he a black still? It's we got you, you blue son of a bitch, or whatever the fuck he says. But it's really, it's so like he calls him a blue fuck, yeah, right. Like really, it's like they're they're they're, you know, and they they act as though this guy has been their mortal enemy forever, which he hasn't been, right? No, but no, they're, not at all. They're they're acting as though uh, Doctor Manhattan is basically a stand-in for all of black people, and that's their mm-hmm. real enemy, and that by doing this, they're somehow hurting black people, which. Uh, you know that that's their future plan, but their their visceral hatred 
for somebody who looks like a black person, even though they're blue, um, is very much <laughs> present in that scene. Well, and it's even worse for for them because it's not even that he's a black person. That's it, it's that he's a race traitor or a race mixer, which to them I think is an even bigger sin in their fucking you know idiot brains. Is that mm, he, that probably he, you know. um you know um yeah so i just you know really good see they he explains that the bars were made from the lithium synthetic lithium batteries which is why they were collecting all those watches and and this is something that that like tachyons i guess you know uh interferes with manhattan's ability to see uh all of time um and you know uh, essentially makes it hard for him to be present so it really makes it hard for him to affect his surroundings in the way that he normally would be able to. Um, so that was the way to kind of contain him until they could. Yeah. I was a little iffy on that one. Like the tail like particles, but really like <clears throat> lithium, lithium, lithium fucking in everything. Like the, really <laughs> like Dr. Well, Manhattan's but they call those Manhattan batteries. I'm not really quite. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I, I think we're just kind of supposed to be like, ah, whatever it's <laughs> here's some bullshit movie science, you know, just go with it. Um, yeah, so um, you know, he, he then he goes on his big rambling speech. Angela arrives, you know, gun in hand, ready to save the day after she tortures uh, one of the seven K guys for the location. You know, <laughs> had to do what she had to do in that moment. Again, torture doesn't actually work, but uh, you know, it, it, uh, in this well, moment, it, I'll forgive it. It, it, it was it it's a very unrealistic situation. It works if somebody actually has information that you need from them. Well, if you know they have the information, that's true. If you right. if you know for a thousand percent accuracy that they do have that information, sure. sure. It's just that you know what the CIA does is they tear you know they torture people that uh, they want to give a false confession to for fake intel as a reason to go to war. Right. That's that's the reason. and to justify so. their torture program and everything else they do. Yeah. Right. Um, Snapping that many fingers though, and the guy's still laughing about oh, it. Brutal. Like, brutal. Oh. <laughs> that would it'd be like i, the, I hate watching one, torture too so that was just very tough yeah. for me that scene but you know and uh. she's got him like on the bed of the pickup truck like is he not like where's his other arm where's his legs like you if someone's trying to break your fingers wouldn't you be fighting You're punching them in the face <laughs> repeatedly yeah <laughs> you're not yeah. just gonna I mean, you would think yeah. um but um yeah so and and they articulate something which i i you know it didn't even occur to me but it, it's a good storytelling you know connect the dots the reason they realized that dr manhattan was still alive and on earth is because the 7k guy was actually teleported away in the white knight mm. giving away to keen that that's why that's that only one person obviously could have been capable of that and it must have been somebody living in that house so they knew you know at that moment that in all probability the cow was was dr manhattan um and because he teleported him so that he didn't have to a, work with true that that gets away from the reflex rather than as a yeah. conscious thing he absent-mindedly sent him back to his hometown <laughs> which was like, yeah and, and, everyone yeah. knows was the hometown of manhattan dr manhattan yeah. where he where they t- where they dropped the first nuclear bomb test you know in uh in the desert i forget the, the name uh exactly of the of the city um but um but but so and we were speculating on like oh well they must be working with true house would they know about manhattan and who he is but this actually gets around that which is a nice you know bit of tidy storytelling um because they it turns out they weren't working with with true but she was as we you know theorized playing them like a fiddle the entire time and letting them oh, steal her tech so and then yeah out. i love that moment because that was one of the things i was like there's no way they have her tech without her knowing 
right? So clearly, yeah. like, she's okay with that. And they probably stole it and don't realize that they got away with it on purpose. Yeah, 100%. Uh, which they totally reveal. But as soon as the, as soon as soon that's revealed, like, suddenly you realize they have all, like, Keen has this doubt. He gets really defensive. And he's like, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get in the chamber and do it. <laughs> and you realize, like, they have no fucking clue what they're doing. Uh, nope. <laughs> and and as, we, as we suspected, it was, you know, it was going to be... Kane was going to be, you know, I mean, even the even the chamber he gets inside of looks like the fucking chamber from like the fly. Right. Like nothing good is coming out of there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, at that moment, I was like, this is dude, you're just this is a bad plan on your part. Um, but so then we realized that True was was there the whole time. Well, not, you know, it presumably or maybe just showed up, but they were all waiting in the wings. They pull out these big uh, magnets that they use to rip everyone's guns out of their hand. Um, and um you know, it, it was it was a cool moment for sure. Um, the uh, w- so at that moment, there's this big flash, and they all get teleported. We you know we realize a couple of minutes later that they were teleported to the center of uh, Tulsa uh, on Main Street in Tulsa. You know, again, which was the site of the 21 Tulsa massacre, and that obviously plays into the the, the ending of this episode, but. Um, what's so cool about that location is it's obviously not Tulsa in real life. It's in, uh, Atlanta, right. Where, mm-hmm. where they shoot like half a TV shows. Thanks to, um, what's his name? Um, uh, the guy oh, from Tyler all Perry, the Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry yeah. Uh, plus George also has really good uh, tax rebates for a uh, film production, but that square, uh, has those, those big, like weird ass alien looking, uh, blue oh, really? columns on it. Yeah. Those are really there, That's part of cool. that square, right? So the fact that they incorporated the, those into like the laser lights that are beaming up at the orb that then uh-huh. get refocused yeah. down and vaporize all the Cyclops fucking racists, like that was clearly so like they, they that that was really weird to me that they, um, you know, obviously that was all CGI put on top of those things, but like they incorporated that into the location rather than having that be a thing that was built for the scene. Uh, so yeah. yeah, if you look it up on Google maps, it's like, Oh shit, those are real. <laughs> That's, really That's going to cool. be such like a tourist spot now. Like people are just constantly be taking oh, pictures. They, they already are, man. Um, yeah, I'm I've sure. seen a ton, sure. on, a ton online of people going there and being like, Oh, why didn't they leave the phone booth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we get a great, uh, Adrian and Lori reunion. Uh, you know, just, it's just, there's still just this, this kind of like base thrill of seeing these characters interact again, even though, you know, um, they tried to kill each other the last time they saw yeah. each other. Yeah. <laughs> They're not, not, not the biggest fans of each other. It was still like, oh, Adrian? Oh, fuck. Like, you know, like, um, yeah. So, uh, at that, at that time, you know, Shrew's kind of like explaining that how she orchestrated this whole thing. Uh, they ask about Keen. Um, she opens the, the chamber, uh, and, and, a just disgusting pool of, of keen goo uh pours out you know spills spills across the thing um he's totally liquidated and i'm not i don't even think that's something she did it's probably just they didn't know what the fuck they were doing and they built this machine that or i think she even says like you can't accept that much um uh tachyon energy without you know uh, some kind of an intermediary or something to that effect uh yeah, they're dumb. And so they just vaporized. They liquidated him. They, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. 
<laughs> well, what was there was like a chunk of him that was still almost solid that that oh yeah that was gross. Lori got like freaked out by it and stomped Snapped out. Was on that it. like a skull or something? I couldn't tell what that I, was. I don't know if that was an organ or what it was. Yeah, that was that was gross as hell though. Um, yeah, <laughs> <It's> fucking underwear. <laughs> so good um yeah so uh then then true kind of gives starts giving them this the soliloquy and um judd's wife's like oh just fucking kill us already that's what you're gonna do aren't you you know just couldn't couldn't even let her get her her monologue out about the 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 racial and and actually what she was saying was was right on and you know about how the 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 victimization that the, the 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 horror that these people have inflicted on victims of color you know throughout the centuries essentially um and so yeah she's like yeah well yeah i'm gonna kill you actually and then as you mentioned the uh lasers that were pointing up all point down at them and vaporize them at once um you know great scene i mean why you'd think they would all get up and just try to run (laughs) if you know you don't have any guns but there's like 40 of them and like five or six people from from true's company and you know like there's no guns i imagine true's guys had had guns on at the ready if they did try to run but it was it was just that many of them though i don't know i think they sort of just resigned themselves to the fact that like okay she's got a huge orb above us and fucking lasers everywhere like she can probably just like blink and kill us (laughs) we just don't want to to collect all of their guns so presumably they they have those unless they destroyed them you know when they with the big magnets but yeah, I don't the, know. the, the magnet stay. guys didn't look like they were you know picking those guns Trained. off of there and, yeah, and, yeah. and doing much with them but still it doesn't really matter because they they didn't live yeah. very long yeah so um at that moment this this puddle makes its way to john uh through the the chamber he's in um and he you know is present enough to touch it and and uh Trans uh, teleports uh, Looking Glass, Adrian and Lori, who I guess were standing in that puddle also, uh, he teleports them back to Karnak. Uh, and True's kind of, you know, uh, godlike, you know, persona that she's trying to play completely slips away uh, at that moment. She just kind of has this almost petulant moment of rage where she screams at him, like, where the fuck did you, where oh, did you yeah, send she's them? Furious. Well, and, and it's, you know, like you, you've said often that manhattan doesn't really have any agency just does whatever has to happen and it's like well clearly he he you know there's no cage under him and there's this puddle that's coming under the cage and he realizes like through this thing you know through the conduit of of Keen's, uh liquefied body he can transfer his powers and and teleport them because they're you know basically stained mm-hmm. in it right uh yeah. where he, he couldn't get his powers to, to affect anything else outside of it uh, except this thing has come inside of it because uh, there's, you know, again, they, they only built it on uh, walls and a ceiling and not a floor. Right. That was that was the weakness of this cage, apparently. Geniuses. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he, like, he's clearly trying to do things to change the outcome of, of what's happening. And it's it's still unclear to me whether he knows the outcome or not at this point well, um, in that moment he might not because like, like he said, it's he's it's very hard for him. It, it really dulled right. his ability to. Someone actually made a really good diagram to explain his his um, I don't, don't want to say powers, but like the way he views time. Basically, his forehead symbol that he draws is him, like the the dot in the middle. He can see all of time 
in every direction, but he can't actually interact or move along that line. So like he, like he's actually the dot in the middle of the circle going around him being the circle being time. So I actually thought that was a really interesting visual way to visualize the way he views time. But I, but again, in that moment, he's being dulled. So he can't, he, so it's possible he actually has some uh, semblance of free will in that moment. It's not a, a matter of right. fatalism, you know, because he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in that moment because he can't, so Stay really, if anything, the the less he's aware of the future, the more free will he actually has. When well, no, he'll I actually mean, genuinely, he'll actually maybe, take yeah. risks on things, he's like, "Oh, well, I, I don't know what's going to happen, so I guess I can do something about it now." <laughs> or maybe he doesn't have any free will. He just doesn't know that he's not exercising free will because he doesn't know that that's what happens. At, you know, sure. It's but who knows? But uh, um, so yeah, so he uh, transports them back. He does not send Angela, uh, and he has just this heartbreaking conversation with her, just amazing acting from them, amazing dialogue. Um, you know, she says, well, why didn't you send me? And he says, uh, cause I don't want to be alone when I die. Just really, really great moment. Um, and someone pointed out from the comics that, you know, at the moment where he dies initially, when he's transformed into Manhattan before his, his, you know, before he's vaporized, uh, <clears throat> Janie, his wife is outside the chamber and she runs away. And he's pounding on the door saying, don't leave me, don't leave me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he showed that to me. That was a great um, sort of really in, inversion of that. Yeah, because we, you know, every character has their own trauma, right? And yeah. seemingly the, the, you know, the worst trauma that Manhattan endured was becoming a superhero in the first place or becoming a god. Uh, that moment of absolute terror that he had. So, so yeah, it, it definitely makes sense that, you know, as he's possibly actually about to die here that that's the thing he really needs the most or wants the most is uh that that connection that vulnerability is very apparent yeah uh yeah well somebody um some people didn't like that they for so much of of him you can see his irises right like when he goes into full-on like killing the 7k mode his eyes just turned like totally white, you know, like like uh, Manhattan. I, the, I like the, the look of that better. It worked in this moment, though, hundred percent. It sure does. Eyes. Yeah. Well, but then I I was watching the the, uh, the Zack Snyder film. Uh, yeah, I can never watch it all at once because it's so fucking long, which is great. You got really you long. need it. You need it to be like three plus hours long. But if in yeah. some of the really close up shots of of uh, Doctor Manhattan from the Zack Snyder film, it it's not just totally like milk white. Like he still has an iris that are white. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's really detailed. That's actually like some really fucking good CGI they did to, to not just have like that, that generic uh, superhero just covered up white eye with no iris, you know, mm-hmm. like they yeah. did. I, I don't know. Like a lot of people don't like this, the Snyder film. And honestly, the only thing I, I don't like is that they changed the ending, but uh, you know, for all the crap he gets for a lot of his films, like I, I still don't think anybody else could have done it. You know, and 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 watching it ten years later, it still fucking holds up really well. You know, he really it's a, didn't it's a change the movie by a, by a mile, like by a country mile, no no yeah. question, because yeah. he was just adapting straight material, basically. Exactly. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, he doesn't really understand that it's satire of you know problematic characters," and it's like, "Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. Like, he probably." identifies with you know Rorschach more than I would <laughs> but, but I, I think that's my fundamental issue with this he makes him a little bit too heroic but but again it's not I, I again I think largely he did a really good job adapting the comic pretty faithfully other than the ridiculous decision to change the ending which yeah. changes a lot of the meaning of the whole stuff but you know again whatever it's 
it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. It's still, you know, the, the way that people react to it is the same, right? So that's not fundamentally yeah. changed. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of, I mean, some of the people are like, oh, the, 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 the scenes of, you know, comic book violence are way more brutal and, and they go on much longer. It's like, I, you know, even the scene where Rorschach gets, uh, you know, entrapped by the police, that's mm. like a 30 second action sequence, right? That's not that mm. long, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and honestly, if you're going to make a fucking movie and these people are supposed to be superheroes, you got to show a little bit more than what's on the, on the page in the comics, honestly. Uh, so yeah, I, the, the more I've gone back to it, the more I'm kind of like, this fucking is a really good job he did, honestly. No, uh, but genuinely. And, and I think that's, it's also helped by the amazing casting of everybody. Everyone in that movie is almost, I almost to a person is perfectly cast. Like, perfectly you know, cast, as we were talking, yeah. Patrick Wilson, fucking great as Dan Dryberg. Malin Ackerman's great Silk Spectre. Uh, I don't know the name of John Osterman, but he's excellent, I thought, uh, in that role. Rorschach is great. Billy Crudup? Um, yeah, Billy Crudup. You yeah. forgot Billy Crudup's name. God, he was like the most famous yeah, guy in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, it's like the only thing he's probably ever did. No, I'm sure he's in other stuff, but. Um, you know, the some of the CGI with him is a little it's not quite as fluid as human movement would be yeah. some of the facial it's stuff, 2009. but it's, you know. it's 2009, but yeah, still it, it, it holds up every time I watch it. Um, um, I'm more impressed with the more times I go back to it, how rewatchable it actually is. And I've watched it probably four or five times. And I'm like, I know everything that happens. So now I'm just watching yeah, yeah. it to, to really nitpick the movie. And I, I, I'm not finding new things to nitpick. So I don't know. That just tells me it was, it's better than I think some people give it credit for, even though, uh, we may not agree with the politics of uh, Zack Snyder. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah. So again, back to the conversation they have. Um, you know, he says, "Why? Well, you know, I didn't want to be alone when I die." Um, she asks him where he is, and he says, "I'm, I'm in every moment we've ever been together." You know, right, right now, or it, 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 it was just, it was just a really like emotional scene. It really got to me. You know, really, it, they knew what they were doing with that scene. It's not like you know that was the logical way to go with that scene, but it still was just very effective uh, because of the amazing performances by that's um, yeah. That, that's going to be a, by Angela. That's going to be a great pickup line guys are going to use. Right. Like, <laughs> like, well, that's we, the Emmy moment. Like, you know, when they show the little <laughs> clip in the Emmys, like for best actor, best actress, oh, yeah. uh, like, you know, uh, that, that'll be the moment if they, it, I, I really, Regina King needs to be fucking nominated for the series or there is no justice in this world. Uh, yeah for, for an emmy like we said last week fuck the golden globes like i don't know what the fuck yeah. they're thinking icing this out uh but yeah emmys if she doesn't win like all the fucking emmys, this, this better I mean, I can make an argument for, i can make an argument for her for uh for jeremy irons for uh tim blake nelson like there's a lot of fucking powerhouse performances in this in this season Lori Blake, Blake, although she's like more supporting, I, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, people who should be nominated. Oh, Gene Smart killed it. I mean, we 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 forget. Absolutely I mean, the, killed it. The yeah. only thing that made this finale weaker than the other episodes, honestly, was that uh, true to form, like the original graphic novel, this is really the only episode where everybody has to share equal screen time, right? With the exception of Vite, most of the other episodes are just centered on one character at a time which is exactly how the graphic novel was right and and if anything you really needed like another half an hour to flesh out everybody here uh i feel like we 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 didn't quite get closure on everyone and if this is one 
you know, one season and one season only, that's not enough. So if anything, that's mm-hmm. like more of an argument for having another season that we didn't get as much closure with some of these characters, especially, <coughs> pardon me, especially Laurie and Looking Glass. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, back to the, back to the scene, um, right before he, right before he's vaporized, he transforms back into Cal, uh, to say, I love you, Angela, before he's vaporized. Uh, so that's, you know, great moment. Um, we, so he's totally vaporized, uh, sucked up into the, the, or the glowing orb thing, um, his essence or whatever. Uh, so back to, and then we're, uh, transferred, transported back to Karnak where, uh, Vite realizes what happened, uh, realized that he was, that Manhattan sent them there to stop her. Uh, you know, he, he refers to her as a most, a most worthy adversary, um, which, you know, you could tell it was like a little bit of like, Oh, finally, some fucking, <laughs> finally a challenge. Um, let's see uh you know he 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 starts to talk about uh true you know she's clearly a raging uh narcissist whose ego knows no limits which again you know could be talking about himself which laurie points out and he does say takes one to know one um in that moment uh where where you know true turns on the millennium clock and they're trying to stop her uh vite realizes that he can rain down uh squids on on them but as if he freezes them uh and they won't dissolve upon impact they're basically like you know dropping a bunch of bullets from the sky you know <laughs> like from the stratosphere like it's a it, it's it's a deadly weapon so it was you know, sure a, a good bit of ingenuity on the, his part the weird part is that if you really transported them to the stratosphere and then just dropped them they would be frozen almost every time <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, it's, it's a little like that doesn't make sense, but also like we're talking about teleporting squids into the into the air, right? So whatever, like we don't have to follow regular rules of, of thermodynamics, right? I get it. Um, the thing that, that got me about the thermodynamic this, miracle this, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, about this scene is is you know, uh, looking at lessons already had his episode or had the, his his realization that this was you know it wasn't fake it was a real thing that happened but it wasn't uh-huh. from another dimension yeah. this was a thing that Vite did stage and you could tell that he he started to kind of let his guard down but here's where he really sees that it it really is true it's not just a, a videotape telling him it's not real he's there seeing it he's seeing these giant vats of squids like he knows that it really yeah. This is the guy, and you keep thinking like he's gonna fucking snap and just like kill Vite. I thought he was gonna stop him. Yeah, I thought he was gonna fuck the whole thing up. But right. it's on his face the whole time that he's the, the realization and the, the resignation. Is. You can see it. So I was trying to figure out, well, why is he kind of just going along with this? And when Vite tells him, like, I, I need you to turn that knob right there, turn it to twenty two degrees, exactly twenty two degrees, he just does it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what is what did that signify? Right. Or why is Looking Glass, why is, is it was this guy who has been traumatized his whole life by the actions of this guy going along with this? And I started sort of thinking about like, well, why, you know, we see him doing these, you know, these uh, squid raining down emergency drills over and over and over to the point where his alarm system breaks from overuse. Right. Yeah. Like he, he's constantly reliving his trauma. Right. And, and why do people relive their trauma? Why do they choose to relive their trauma? It's because your brain is trying to figure out the the like one in a million uh, chance of you figuring out a way that you could have prevented the trauma from happening in the first place. 
So it's like a scenario you keep running over and over and over looking for a way to change it. Even though you can't change it because it's in the past, your brain is still thinking like, well, what if this happens again, what's the one thing I will have to do to save myself, right? Like that's just how your brain works. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, your brain thinks that way. Uh, and for traumatic things, your brain gets really fixated on shit like that. You look at like recurring nightmares about trauma and it's always your brain is trying to find a way out of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in this scene, Looking Glass is basically seeing the mechanisms of his trauma. He's seeing the, the you know, the teleportation terminus, uh, you know, the vats of squids. Uh, here's this valve that he wants him to turn. And he literally uh, is able to put his hands on it himself and control it and create a different outcome than the one he experienced. Right. Like he's literally the one that turns the, the you know, the, the knob to, to freeze them all that turns these benign squid into lethal squid, right? Mm-hmm. So so as far as, like, affecting his trauma, he's going along with it, whether he knows it or not. I think the writers probably thought all of this, and, and it's not there spoken, but it's sort of the subtext that he is... Um, the, the process of him being involved in what Vite is doing to stop True and, you know, weaponizing these squids and freezing them, making them into, you know, falling bullets, basically a Gatlin gun falling from the sky. The fact that he has a role in that and, and he's, it's, it's doing something therapeutic for him, whether he knows it or not. Right. And I'm sure the writers, um, talked about that quite a bit. Right. And there, there may have well, been it's giving him agency over the squids too. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's, it's, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we sort of joked like, yeah, if you dropped anything high up in, in the air, if they're squid, they're full of water. <laughs> I mean, they're like 99% water. <laughs> they would freeze and they would all automatically deck that. But it's, yeah. it's like, you know, they all know what the stakes are. Right. So even though he's, he's grappling to understand it and probably is really pissed, uh, you know, we, we see later on that like he doesn't let it go. But he does it. <laughs> yeah. He does it lawfully. <laughs> well, I mean, somewhat yeah, lawfully. Yeah. Uh, but as far as going along with the plan, it's like okay, this Police is clearly, brutality. like you know, interfering with with what Vite is trying to do would be a bad idea because he he knows full well he was there and saw what's about to happen. Well, uh, he wants to save you know Angela. Also, I think he still feels bad sure. about having to to dime her out. You know, in the last in in uh, a couple episodes ago. So I think he's. In that moment, he's like, well, I got to do this to save Angela and I can always, right. you know, deal with Vite later also. But, but I yeah, I just I, I remember th- wrong with the squids also. Yeah. yeah, I just remember thinking like, well, why why does Vite tell him to do the, the, you know, turn the knob to freeze them? Why, you know, why was that a thing they wrote into the show rather than just Vite, you know, doing it himself and explaining what he was doing? Uh, you know, it was like a, like a specific yeah. thing. Like, why is Looking Glass even there if not to have some part in what's happening? Right. And then did Dr. Manhattan know that? And did he mm. send him there to be a part of that, knowing that that would would help heal him having that agency over the outcome of what the squids were, uh, you know, when when for decades they had traumatized him? Yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly something that that you could read from that from that uh, from that scene. Um yeah, so you know they so Vite turns on the machine, rains the squids down. Um, you know, uh, True is in the in the chamber about to receive the Manhattan energy. Uh, you just start hearing stuff falling. She looks down. Uh, something rips right through her hand. Pretty gross and gruesome. But she she just stares at. It. She's not really quite sure what's happening. Uh, That's and my then favorite moment of the whole episode. Uh, yeah, 
you know, because she didn't just transport the Seventh Cavalry uh, Cyclops fucker. She transported their little fake facade church with them. Yeah, yeah, which so, was funny. So in the shot where her arms are outstretched like Jesus, oh, yes. in the background, you've got the Seventh Cavalry Jesus statue on a crucifix, and it's in a split shot so that the background and the foreground are both in focus, and in between it's blurry. You know, it's like a split frame mm-hmm. or split lens, right? So literally like the, the you know, it's it's almost meta-commentary on the photography, but, uh, you know, her her she clearly wants to be a god, Right. The the line between Jesus and her is blurred and her hands are outstretched. And then she gets basically a hole torn through her hand like Christ being crucified all in the same moment. And it's like you forgot that with being a God comes extreme anguish. And here it is, honey. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it was also obviously her Messiah complex that she thinks that she's this benevolent figure who's going to save the world, even though she really just wants to have power over the entire you know wh- whatever her motivations are um but but in that moment she realizes and then she says motherfucker in vietnamese before um the squids rain down the orb uh sending crashing it down onto her and killing her um you know and and, and stopping her her plan from from uh taking shape yeah I, uh, I i still didn't i thought it was like uh she's gonna you know she's like augmented herself with you know, like an exoskeleton and, and she's going to climb out from under that thing and she's going to you know, like fucking Terminator Doc style. Lady True. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I was, I was definitely kind of like that. That seemed a little too easy, but you know, I guess if you, <laughs> somebody, somebody did a, a review video on YouTube and they, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't listen real close and they just do a, you know, review. And they said that the, you know, uh, Vite had said it was going to destroy everything for five square miles, which, he didn't say that. He said like five square blocks. Five blocks. Yeah. 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 And, and clearly not everything is destroyed. She gets this huge hole torn in her hand, but then we see all the cops fleeing and a couple of them get knocked down. But, you know, we're, you know, guessing that not every single one of those is tearing a, uh, you know, golf ball size hole in you. That was just a lucky strike. But yeah. Um, yeah. Clearly like, you know, you probably the, concentrated it right on top of the, <clears throat> the thing. It's just a matter of like, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Trapnel and collateral is gonna gonna hit for the five blocks or so, but he probably concentrated the force of it directly on top of the Millennium Clock <laughs> and on top of yeah. the orb. Well, um, and I, and I love that uh, you know when he says that you know I hope there's no one you love down there. Well, it's like well, of course we know there are. It's just yeah, that, you no. know Lori, Lori and Angelo haven't had like a great working relationship. It's been pretty terse. <laughs> they had you know one episode where they kind of got along, uh, but she calls the phone and Bien picks up the phone in, in the Manhattan phone booth uh, and Lori's like screaming. Like she's so kind of like above it all and, and not bothered by anything. But in that moment, uh, she's really just like, you're going to fucking die. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, uh, trying to save and, Angela. And, trying to, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, again, I, I hope that I hope we get more scenes with them. That was one of my favorite scenes is when they, you know, in that little mausoleum, with the tunnel on the floor was, was that mm. their interaction with each other? Cause it was just like, this is fucking, you've got, you got, you know, ranging age from 45 to, to 68, uh, year old women playing superheroes in a scene. That's just about them fucking shaking each other down. Like this is fucking great writing. <laughs> I want more it just occurred to me at the next, ne- next batch of watchers could be like five years later. Or so, and, uh, Osterman, if he comes back to life, is going to get bored of Angela. Cause she aged out and he's going to take on beyond and as his new, oh. uh, new 
God. His new 16-year-old girlfriend. Like, that seems yeah. to be his, uh, his M.O. now. It is um, his M.O. But, it is his M.O. It is softening the, the, the rough edges of the Watchmen. We know the, we know the real Manhattan. Yeah. You know, in real life, Manhattan has flown on the Lolita Express like 15 times. Uh, you know, there's this questionable. Oh, well, uh, you know, I didn't really know Jeffrey Epstein. You know, I was an associate of no. Um, I mean, if you could turn, <laughs> you can change matter. I mean, Manhattan could have been the Lolita Express. He could have been the actual jet himself. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I, I wasn't, it wasn't clear to me why they couldn't just stay in that booth. That booth seemed pretty sturdy, but I mean, whatever, you know, we, we had to get Angela to the, to the Dreamland Theater to, uh, to have her final moment with Will. Yeah, it was unclear to me why she had to go run uh, in that moment, too, because, you know, she's holding this little... Well, Bianca survived, and she stayed in the booth, so clearly it was fine. Right, right, right. I, got, I mean, I thought for at first that she was just running to help her police friends, because um, they seemed like they were getting torn up pretty bad, but <laughs> yeah. she just kind of keeps going to the theater. Oh. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so she runs to the theater, and she knows her family's there, so I guess she wanted to make sure they were safe, you know, in that moment. Um grabs it like grabs like a case and uses as kind of a umbrella to run across um so uh yeah so she goes into the dreamland theater and will's there sitting in the exact same seat that he was sitting in when he was uh you know a child watching the bass reeves film uh when the tulsa massacre you know started in 1921 um Will mentions that joining up with, with True was John's idea, um, you know, and again, was it John's idea or did John know he was going to do whatever, you know, um, but in any event, uh, that's why he he went through with that, because he knew that it was essential to, to you know, uh, Angela finding out who she was and who he was and really, you know, coming to terms with her tragedy. Um, and in that moment, he says to her, you know, in this great conversation they have, you, you know, you can't heal under a mask. Wounds need air. Um, and I, I thought it was very poignant, but it's also very telling that none of the characters that are masked have masks on this episode. Looking Glass isn't wearing a mask this entire episode. Uh, Angela, of course, hasn't worn a mask since she took the nostalgia and learned about Will's origins. You know, in that moment, she really stopped being Sister Knight and became Angela Abar again. Like, she, she just can't go back to that, I think, after that. Um, uh, you know, even Red Scare and Pirate Jenny weren't wearing their masks when they showed up. So, uh, I thought they I had them when they first showed up, but then after it all, like shit goes down, the squids fall, then we see them without their masks on. So yeah. Yeah. But like, well. certainly in that moment when he was saying that they weren't wearing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, they had a great conversation. Uh, she invites him to, you know, kind of stay with them. Uh, for a few days, not long term, but I'm sure, you know, that'll probably turn into long term. Uh, and he's not not like he's going to be he's 106 years old or however fucking old he is. He's going to be around yeah. for another five I mean, minutes. Nobody nobody wants their parents or their grandparents hanging around because they're just going to fucking judge everything. Like, oh, is that the way you clean the floor? Is that how you fucking is that the kind of cleaning products you keep in this house? We already told her she's fucking curses too much. Like when he first meets her, you know, um, nothing worse than having your parents living with you. And like every <laughs> single thing you do comes under criticism. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't, you, you live the way you want to live the way I want. We're not, we're different people. Uh, this is, I, why I, we, this is why I don't <laughs> still live with you. Yeah. I, I had to go through that recently with my, my own mother. I mentioned I was seeing her for a couple of weeks, um, dealing with some bereavement and it was like the way that people deal with grief is, you know, often not healthy and just like random things would come out and 
like the way I was washing yeah. dishes was not a, was not adequate. Apparently, like a, a hot soapy water seemed fine to me, <laughs> and probably everyone for the last I don't know fifty thousand years seems to work okay. Uh, nope, nope, nope. I wasn't doing it right. You know, if you're not going to do it right, don't do it at all. I was like, you know, this this is like one of those one of those things that they write into shows to show that somebody's like fucking crazy is that they can't <laughs> stand the way that someone else washes their own dishes. And it's like what? Like you, you're you know anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, I no, just sure. the, the 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 when you see him actually in her house, you know, and he's he's got like some more shit to say. It's like, all right, guy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Have you done enough harm, Will? Yeah. I know you've gone through your shit on your own, but like you did, fucking Cyclops is like your whole life's mission was to get rid of Cyclops, and now they're done. It's just fucking stop talking now. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, uh, she she goes into the kitchen to clean up. The eggs are still smashed on the floor because she, you know, left right from there. Um, and as I predicted to you, but not on the actual podcast, uh, she there was one egg left intact in that carton. And in that moment, she flashes back to him saying, you know, I could transfer uh, I could transfer my powers, you know, to somebody, but only if they wanted it. Um, you know, it, it, it's made very clear that his powers are within this egg. Uh, you know, or at least we're, we're led to think that. Uh, so she takes the egg, goes out to the pool, cracks it open, eats it. Really just, you know, no concern whatsoever for Salmonella. Really fucking nasty. Um, but really, you know, I guess if you cooked it. Hours. Yeah. Well, I guess um, if you cooked it, maybe it doesn't have quite as, you know, maybe, maybe that cooks away the Manhattan powers. I don't know. I, I was I was um, uh, I was let down that she didn't eat the shell, too. Like just, I was wondering, like, do you have to eat the shell? Like, yeah. If it didn't work, is she gonna go back out and try to eat the shell? Be like, fuck, maybe I'd eat this whole, (laughs) you know, eats the whole carton, pulls out of the trash. Maybe that wasn't the right egg. Maybe it wasn't one of these other. Yeah, (laughs) maybe it's one of these broken ones. Licks licking the egg yolk off the. Yeah, no. Um, I want the powers. So, um, you know, she puts her foot out to the water. the water seems to shimmer a little bit. I don't know if that was just my perception or if they really animated that in the water to like let it shimmer a little bit as her foot was coming near it. And the episode ends. It's, you know, the inception ending. It's like, well, was the top still spinning? Was it starting to wobble? Uh, you know, maybe we'll never know. Uh, Lindelof says he doesn't want to do another season, but I. He's um, never said it, that, though. He's never fucking. He, he's no, he's saying that, that he only actually, wants to I, do it if he's got a good story, which how hard is he it said, to come up with a good story? He said a lot. Like, I've, I've listened to a lot of like real like interviews, recent interviews with him. And he's basically be like, no, I've seen I I saw this as one season. I don't have a desire to do a yeah, second season. If some brilliant idea season. strikes me. This was one but season and he's going to do another season. I read uh, an interview I, that was done 48 hours ago in which he said, yeah, I want to be involved in anything HBO does with the name Watchmen. And he said it. All right. Well, he's sending mixed messages then because the thing he just released today, the official Watchmen podcast, he said he didn't want to do a second season. But I, I think he's he might genuinely not know. He might genuinely be conflicted. But I think he only wants I think to do he's it. he's just wording it awkwardly because he wants to be authentic because there's some like higher authority he thinks he has to answer to. And it's like, dude, people like the show. 
They like what you did with it. They like what you did with the characters. He just wants the pat from from Alan Moore. He wants the pat on the back. And he's never going to get it. But, no. uh, you know, I, I appreciate yeah. that he wants it. And he's trying to always think about what Alan Moore would want. Because I think that's what made the season so amazing. Is that he was always trying to keep it true to the original source material. The Old Testament, as he refers to it. Uh, sure. Which shows you his reverence for the material. But, um, you know, I, I, he actually, in that podcast... Uh, which was a good listen. It, it, there's a lot of you know little insights. Like he did confirm that the he wasn't trying to be ambiguous with the with the landing uh, it, uh, on the farm in episode four or episode three, whatever episode that was. He's like, no, no, yeah, that that was Vite's ship landing, which is why True had to had to you know seize that land. Um, but um, he uh, it, regarding the ending, he did he cited uh, Inception as as kind of a touchstone for him and he he told the story about how he left the theater after inception and went to like you know went to a urinal like in the in the the movie theater and he was standing next to two guys talking about it and he's like oh yeah and the one guy was like that's the best ending to a movie i've ever seen in my life and his buddy was like are you fucking kidding me that was the dumbest piece of shit i've ever seen well how could that (laughs) what what, what the fuck was that even about he's like and i love that and i you know i i really want I appreciate the ambiguity and the, the 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 level of, you know, artistry and just saying like fuck it, I'm not gonna tell you. But and he's like, and I agree more with the guy who loved that ending than the guy who hated it. Um, sure. But and he also has implied pretty subtly that yeah, no, that was Manhattan's powers, like you know. But again, it's I actually think it's more interesting if we come back to a se- almost like a Last Jedi type situation where we come back to season two. And she steps and just falls into the pool because uh, to some degree, uh, Manhattan understands what a burden uh, those powers are. And like, it's possible that he would be like, well, why would I inflict this on some the person I love the most in this world? Why would I inflict this 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 kind of hell that I've lived through in, in a lot of ways on her? But again, then why would he have said like, well, you need to know about this for later? And like, you know, I go back and forth, but I think that would be a really interesting thing to explore in 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 a second season. Is is did he actually transfer his powers to her or not? And I think it, I think it doesn't matter. And that's probably the last thing I even want a second season to focus on. I would love for it to be uh, a thing we don't know if they if they go back to a second season and. Angela's in it, which I, I hope they would. I would hope they, they would shift focus on it to other characters and not have it be just her story or not the, the singular story. But I would love for them to not answer that question all fucking season, right? Oh, like, yeah, no, like, that would be like, nice. Like similar to, uh, you know, Blade Runner 2049, the big question is, is, is Deckard a replicant? And they never answer that question in the second movie, which was the biggest yeah. question from the first movie. In the second Although one, didn't they, Ridley they Scott say yes, that he is. What's that? Didn't he, but didn't they, didn't Ridley Scott say like, yeah, he's, he's a replicant. Like Ridley Scott did. And Harrison Ford said, no, he's not. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, this is like, uh, the, the, I don't, this is another controversy that, uh, so in Empire Strikes Back, Luke, you know how he gets mauled in the beginning by the Wampa, like in the ice cave or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the theory was that they did that because uh, Mark Hamill got in a car accident, like in between filming of the two movies. And Carrie Fisher swears up and down that they did this just to, uh, you know, give a reason why his face is all fucked up in that movie because it's pretty prominently scarred. Uh, but George Lucas insists that that's not the case. But um 
I, so I guess that's one of the, it's a similar, like, well, I guess we'll never really fucking know. Um, right. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's what makes it compelling is not knowing, you know, like yeah. some people will think one thing, some people think the other thing. And for the film to embrace both ideas is being completely plausible and possible is what makes it compelling. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I, you know, it, it's, if they do a second season, Angela's there. I want to not know. I would love for that to be still a huge question mark throughout the whole fucking series. So if Lindelof, uh, you know, thinks he's not going to come up with any ideas, uh, listen to our podcast, dude, because we're fucking writing it for you right now in real yeah. time. Or, or just <laughs> let us write it. That would that, also be preferable because I can yeah. use the money. Uh, we're all fucking woke lefties <laughs> over here understand the history of u.s imperialism and racism well, i was gonna say that was that's what the second season f- should focus on the first was obviously about race but you know you mentioned vietnam i think they could tell a larger story about u.s imperialism in general with a second season that could be the the larger theme of the season um i mean just just and that, that could actually that factor in final, redford and things like that you know yeah just, just the final shot of the end sitting in that cop car with like she's just looking off into space with her mouth hanging open while pirate jenny's trying to talk to her and like console her She's, you know, same as Angela watched both her parents get blown up and, and murdered in, you know, Saigon. Uh, Ben's just watched her mother get crushed to death by a giant fucking, <laughs> yeah. you know, orb in the sky and a bunch of fucking that, frozen yeah. squid. So, like, to to just show her like that and to think you're not going to come back to that and, and, you know, delve deeper into what that kid just experienced... Uh, is just kind of like brutal to the character to think that like, oh, that's all we're going to show to to say, oh, I'm only interested in doing one season. Fuck you. You you left the final episode with a lot of things unfinished, which is OK. But don't pretend as though it's a, it's a done deal. And this was a, a self-contained season. It's not. Damon Lindelof's a very insecure person. And I think that. um <sighs> It, it's you know it's a gift and a curse because I think it, it helps him a lot in in some of his writing and some of his characterizations. But I think it, he's also crippled by anxiety at times. I think, I think, I think the he still constantly talks about the reaction to finales. Like I, he's he's like in a lot of ways. I think that's why Looking Glass was such a well fleshed out character. Um, because of the anxieties and the constant reliving of trauma, because he's constantly reliving the trauma of being like pilloried online for the ending of Lost, and he, he always brings it up when he talks about interviews and like wanting to end shows the right way. Um, so I think that that oh, leads to him constantly being like, I don't know if the show is any good. Like he keeps saying, like in every interview, like I still don't know if the show is any good. I don't know if we ended it well. And it's like, no, you fucking, of course he did. But again, at the same time, like who knows if he would have been if it would have been as good if he was more self confident, you know? Like maybe that's actually <clears throat> the right. reason he's such a good writer is because he's so full of insecurities that he can project that onto his characters. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think he's you know he he talked about not only worrying about fucking up Watchmen, but also raising the stakes so that he was scared to death of fucking up a. Uh, real conversation about the, the history of white supremacy in the U.S., right? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. if you're if you're trying to do both good, you will do both good because the one is going to augment the other, and vice versa, right? If, if you're just doing like, oh, what's what's what are the Watchmen up to in 2019? Like that's no one cares. I mean, people care, but it's like it's not about anything, right? 
it's got to be about something the way that the Watchmen was about something. It was about, you know, the politics of the 1980s and the Cold War and the absurdity of it all and the absurdity of, of you know, the, the idea of superheroes, you know, that who, who would Batman really be like in real life? He wouldn't be a successful millionaire. He'd be a fucking guy that doesn't bathe and doesn't pay his rent. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's just... He would be Dan Driver. I mean, that's... It's, you know, he'd be, be Rorschach, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or Rorschach, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anything, Night Owl 1 and 2 were like the closest you could get to, uh, you know, some semblance of a whole human being or, or Lori... Uh, it was pretty close to a regular human being, but still, then she's like, all I know are other superheroes. I don't know any regular people, you know, like I'm just completely yeah. stuck in this fucking world of freaks, basically. Um, <laughs> well, so speaking of freaks, though, real quick, we should mention briefly the last entry into the uh, PDPedia because um, for people that haven't you know, caught it, didn't read it yet, it's a letter from uh, the deputy director of the FBI to the vigil anti-vigilante task force, uh, basically talking about how agent Dale Petey never returned from his trip to Tulsa. He's basically has gone rogue. He's he's a very high suspect for uh, vigilante activity. Um, they mentioned briefly uh, that they found a, a, a tub of canola, a canola oil in his office. So, yeah, you know, uh, PD is lube man confirmed, uh, essentially. Uh, and uh, briefly, though, the other f- interesting thing is in that um, memo to the other task force people, it mentions how uh, Blake is back uh, and being held for debriefing right now and how, uh, you know, basically mums the word on the Vite thing or, or about the squid attack, um, which to me implies that they're not actually going to prosecute Vite that they're going to protect her because protect fight because they know what an unraveling process that would be to implicate the president in, in a, in a scandal like that. Like they would literally be to, like uh, Lindelof joked, like, yeah, if we did that, the second season would just be the fucking mirror image of, you know, it would just be impeachment articles of impeachment for Redford uh, based on, you know, faking the, the lying to the public uh, regarding the squid attacks and, you know, things like that. So it would be, so it seems like they're implying that Vite's going to basically get away with it again. Um, and I don't know where... So that's another interesting thread to explore for season two, is Vite back on in the U.S. Uh, not, you know, being held responsible for what he did on 11-2. Uh, what that does with to Lori, what that does to Vite, what that does to everybody involved. So uh, Looking Glass, uh, who is, you know, in, again, you know, righteously angry at Vite and you know still holds on to that grudge for ruining his fucking life essentially um what that you know that could be something that the second season explores like you know trying to find justice uh for for you know to Adrian Vite like that's, that's yeah I mean thread. if they're gonna do that I I don't think that that's gonna fit with Jeremy Irons uh his character and what he's done with it because right. he's, yeah, that's he's the made problem. the character it's so likable likable too likable uh, I don't want to see it, him get it would be it would be like a known grudge between them, right? Uh, but it would be something where it's like, okay, well, we've come to terms with understanding why the government is going to keep a lid on this because they don't want a nuclear war either. And just, you know, the the, the embarrassment to people in power. Um, 
but it would still be an implication. Like it's just, it's too big of a thing not to be there. But yeah, I don't see just doing like a trial of the century season two. No, no, no. I don't would, either. Would but. be uh, the way to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to have to address it. Like they've, they've set up so many new storylines in the finale. I don't know how you just walk away from that. Right. Like if, if it's mm-hmm. not Lindelof, it's going to be somebody, <laughs> you know, HBO is not going to be like, Hey, we had a huge fucking hit. Uh, we, we had a critical uh, and commercial success. Like, we're not just going to walk away from that, right? Um, and, and this Certainly uh, HBO is not going to want to, even if Lindelof doesn't want to come back to it, they're not going to, they're going to do it with or without him, I think, ultimately, even though. Sure, but they're, they're still going to fucking do it thoughtfully. They're not going to, I mean, they, they, no, they I agree. him, I agree. what, three or four different offers, right? So it's, they're like, they well, whatever happens, else. it's yeah. going to happen. You know, but we want the best guy to do it, you know, or, or the best team of writers to do it. We want the best people to do it, even if that means that, like, OK, well, now we're 10. It's 10 years later than we wanted to, to do it. Uh, and now we're going to have to cast much older actors. And that's, you know, not nearly as sexy for having a show about superheroes. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just I, I love that they let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to do with this and having that freedom to really fucking cook something original and man, I just just the reaction from people. Um, you know how hard it is to please any fandom, especially as big as a fandom is is you know say uh, you know Marvel or Star Wars or Star Trek Game of or Thrones, fucking <laughs> Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, you 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 got an amazing yeah. final season of Game of Thrones, but it's like, oh, but John didn't get to sit on the throne, so I hate it all. They ruined my fantasy. You know, it's like, what? See our 50 hours of coverage of Game of Thrones if you want to hear our, our thoughts on the, the the reaction to season eight and, yeah, why it was actually awesome. Why it was actually phenomenal. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, those guys can't get a job now because everyone hates them, uh, which which is terrible. Like, I don't I, I don't have any I love so... for, for those guys, but, like, they're fucking, the work they did was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And whether, you know, it was that they had talented people around them or not, they still facilitated it. And so like when I saw recently they were going to be adapting a Lovecraft story, I was like, oh, this is fucking amazing. I love I love H.P. Lovecraft. I love the not not the person. He's a fucking horrible person. But his his, uh, you know, fiction style, um, he created the cosmic horror genre, essentially, which we see, you know, manifest Mm -hmm. in stuff like uh, Event Horizon, Annihilation, like all that's really can be put into that kind of cosmic horror like sci-fi horror blend oh yeah uh, he he eventually he essentially invented stranger that in the things, fucking 1930s the stranger thing. things total lovecraft the yeah. thing uh every and, and yeah they, book did, about did they get fired that. from that project too well so they, they they immediately at like an hour after they posted that story about how they would be directing and and, and making this thing there was like well the, the the studio wanted to clarify that they'll be producing it, but they're not sure if they're directing it yet. So it was like there was such a backlash to them even directing this property, which I can't imagine is like this massive fan base. But even just the fact that they were getting work again, people were like, this is a fucking outrage. We, you know, so it was like, no, we're, we're not sure if they're going to direct. They're just going to be putting money towards it. Like, it's like, come on, guys, let them fucking work. Like, you know, <laughs> like, relax. Yeah, I, and I don't want to rehash anything. If you, yeah, yeah, if, no, if you're listening to this and you're like, "What? Those guys think that fucking season eight of Game of Thrones is good? That's fucking like go listen to what we actually said for three hours per episode on that thing, and, and, the then, and then tell us we don't know what we're talking you know, about. 
Yeah, that's just a great summation, I think, of all that. Uh, our, our episode on the last episode, the finale. Not our wrap-up, but our episode the day after the finale. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just just the first 30 minutes of our like marathon, long-ass uh, review of the finale of Game of Thrones of episode six of season eight, uh, where we really get into kind of like the, the meta-hatred of that final season and why it just doesn't ring true and doesn't fit what actually happens in the season. Just listen to that. And we got some audio clips actually from the show uh, that really do a good job of, of kind of showing how they were writing dialogue into the show to help you understand what the show was really about. And people still didn't get yeah. it. Still didn't work. Well, so and I think the difference between this and that, um, besides the fact that this did not have nearly as long of a gestation period, so there wasn't as much time for people to kind of fantasy book in their heads what they thought the ending should be and was going to be, uh, I think that it, it, this was more of a tabula rasa in terms of like, um, which is a pun if you're a Lost fan, um, in terms of uh, like, you know, sure, it's based on an existing IP and an existing, you know, characters, but it was also based on all of these new characters. It was, it was in the universe, but it wasn't like, oh, well, we've been reading these books for 20 years and we know how this story is going to end because it's been leading to this, you know, and, and if it doesn't end exactly this way, I'll be very disappointed. Versus this was just like, this is fucking a revelation, and I can't believe they're doing this with this within this universe. I can't wait to see how it ends. Like, I think there was a lot less built up, uh, you know, there, there, there was a lot less built up story in people's heads to the point where they felt like, you know, the entitlement wasn't there when, when, when the ending happened because it wasn't like, oh, well, that's not what I wanted to happen. It was just like, oh, well, that's what happened. Like, you know. It just I think that's why this is better much better received than than the finale of Game of Thrones, even though I think they're both interested to do a poll, a poll of just people that loved this HBO Watchmen series and ask just the people that loved the the show what they thought about the last season of Game of Thrones. Because they feel like mm. if you if you're the kind of person that likes the Watchmen in the first place, you understand the idea of subversion, of of you know, really having a uh, a, a political story, you know, and and it's not about uh, you know who who the the most valiant winner is, who wins the day, like that whole fucking idea that Game of Thrones was like a happy ending fairy tale Lord of the Rings bullshit thing, you know, like like to quote Ramsey Bolton, if you thought the story has a happy ending, <laughs> you weren't say. paying attention, you know. <laughs> it's still the they tell you right in the fucking dialogue, yeah. You know, and, and most of the characters do get a happy ending. Most of the ones that still live get a happy it's ending. It's bittersweet, as, as Martin said, you know, 20 right. years ago that it would be bittersweet. Right. And, and you know, it's it's like it's it's not fair, but that's the world in which we live. Right. Uh, and, and I think that the fans of The Watchmen really understand that. Uh, and, and they understand that within that world, you still have people that are mostly good or mostly evil but still are all like Angela fucking tortures a guy in the final, you know, like yeah, several the, none, times of these, the series, none of these actually. people are good, you know? And, and then the idea that, uh, you know, well, Will Reeves is like, well, Manhattan had all his power and could have done more with it. It's like that. What, what hero is held to that standard? You know, there's some couple quotes here. I want to read from an article. This was on IGN.com. Uh, I don't know the author's name, but I made, made some good points here. Um, quote, uh, it's the eternal question of how best, if at all, to shift the status quo, something the superhero genre at large has failed to fully reckon with. For the most part, characters like the Avengers might oppose existential threats, 
but they ultimately fight to protect the status quo rather than to improve the world around them. Uh, and then I jumped down here a couple lines. Um, you know, does, does this make a, uh, you know, a worthy purpose for a sequel to the Watchmen, despite the resplendent new focus on vulnerability and, and unearthing racial history elements of the show that far surpassed the original have the jagged moral edges of Watchmen been sanded down and it's a question mark. Right. So like, you know, if anything, Manhattan already did too much <laughs> to, 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 to my eyes, like, you know, if you have the ability to stop the comedian from murdering a pregnant woman and you don't do it, like that's, that's a problem. That's a conflict. Right. But then to say, Oh, well, why didn't he solve all the world's problems at the same time? It's like, well, because it wouldn't really fundamentally change anything. Getting rid of all the nukes wouldn't change anything. Uh, you know, wiping out one, one cavalry of racists isn't going to get rid of white supremacy. Right. And and he and sort he of resigns like himself not, to that fact that yeah. he can't change all the world's problems and he just doesn't even want to change things that he does have control over in his own life for the most part. And I mean, and you know, he, uh, the idea of him as this benevolent hero, I think is, is also off. He really is just a person who has his own, you know, hang ups and, you know, again, the whole, he's all God and all man at the same time thing. I mean, he did help Richard Nixon slaughter and colonize Vietnam. Like, I mean, it's not like, you know, it was not a heroic act by any stretch of the imagination. So it's, it's really, he's still just a person who's uh, subject to the whims and weaknesses and decision-making of a human. He just happens to be able to see all of the decisions that he's going to make and is therefore powerless to, you know, uh, affect them. But it's, he's just a very weird character in that way. And I think it's, it's hard to read it. It's he's not Superman. Like that's people read him as Superman. He's really not, he doesn't have an analog. I mean, Superman's, you know, maybe the closest in terms of powers, but it's not a good direct analog because he wasn't Mm -hmm. raised, you know, on a farm in, in Kansas by a loving family, uh, you know, to, you know, want to help people and want to do good in the world. That's not the way he came up. He came up through tragedy. You know, he was, his life was shaped by tragedy and he has trouble connecting with his humanity because of it. I think one of the things I loved about the black and white episode they did, uh, was to really drive home how the Minutemen um, was always bullshit. You know, like the, it's, it's sort of <laughs> yeah. like the, Oh, here's the old timey version of superheroes when they actually cared about it. It was like, no, it was all promotion and and you know just like oh here's the guy who's shilling for the bank and here's the guy that doesn't <laughs> give a shit about that Super was a racist bad too <laughs> right um so they they did some spin dc comics did some spinoffs of uh you know was, there was like um one called Super before watchmen. watchmen right that was more about the minutemen and it was actually uh silhouette uh was was the character that had sort of like the spanish uh fascist bullfighter outfit with like the like the uh the bobbed bangs haircut um character that we see briefly in the snyder film um who apparently wanted the, the minutemen to in night owl also uh as a former uh, police officer who was, who was also disillusioned with uh police wanted them to take on like real criminal cases that mm-hmm. uh you know captain metropolis was like ooh, that doesn't really look good like there was like a child prostitution ring that silhouette yeah. wanted them to uh take down and captain metropolis was like 
that doesn't that doesn't look good for our promotional material. And it's like the fucking kids being raped. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so you know, even though a lot of people like have bashed those other DC spinoff comics, like they there was some substance to them uh, in, in keeping in line with the Alan Moore, uh, you know, uh, uh, Old Testament of things being not what they seem, or things things being very superficial uh, in, in what that group was, and the few people in it they wanted to really do something like Code of Justice silhouette. Uh, original uh, Night Owl versus everyone else that was there just to like be a model or be famous or, or uh, you know, have a, a, a product tie in with a, a private bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I've said, you know, most of what I, I wanted to say about the episode and the series. Um, any other kind of stray thoughts before we kind of start to wrap up? You know, I, I feel like we kind of cooked it in between all the scenes already, everything we want to say, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I Incredible mean, score. I, I um, love the music, um, that, that, yeah. that one, uh, music piece that, uh, sounds very, you know, Halloween, John Carpenter esque. Uh, it, it starts very low and kind of builds up and it has this recurs kind of a lot. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the horror, theme of the show that comes up once in a while ash was was like oh that reminds me of stranger things and i was like oh that yeah but that's because everything's because they were trying to rip off carpenter with the stranger (laughs) (laughs) and it's like that that music cue is in like half the episodes anyway so yeah Uh, yeah great job with the music i loved all the cover songs um you know that that trent Reznor uh the cover of life on mars that's solid as oh, piano incredible. heartbreaking i kind of i kind of hate that that was like third to last episode and then the the you know the beatles song was the end of the whole series because like that it fit the episode though like it oh, did it fit, did. like it you did, know it did it just, i i just feel a lot of people i think agree that the finale was a little anticlimactic they said you know oh it's going to be a huge twist you're not going to see coming. And I was like, there wasn't really a twist in the finale. We kind of predicted everything that happened in the finale. <laughs> honestly. I mean, the only thing we really didn't predict is that true's motivations wouldn't be as altruistic as we thought. We thought she had more altruistic intentions with the millennium clock than she did. And she mm-hmm. really was just like, no, I just want his fucking power to, to be a, an all powerful guy. But that's not even really a twist. It's just maybe a fun, you know, like we, we just maybe attributed a little bit more, uh, benevolence, even though like mi- misplaced benevolence to her character when she was yeah. just kind of naked, but, I mean, na- nakedly ambitious, like her father in a lot of ways. The, the, the original was, writing, not the you know Jeremy Irons. Yeah, the, the twist was that Cal was Doctor Manhattan. I mean, that's really no, that the was, only yeah, big that twist, and even series. that people already saw. <laughs> so when people are like, "Oh, you're not going to be ready for the finale," or like, "Oh, there's a big twist coming," like no one's going to see it coming. I was kind of like where was it in the finale? Cause there was not, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's still a great way to tie up most of the loose ends, I think. Uh, but obviously like every episode <clears throat> before it, it answers a bunch of questions and then, uh, creates a bunch more mysteries, right. That we want to see answered or, or explored at least. Right. So, uh, well, at least in this sense, Unlike the leftovers, not going to let the mystery be. I want more of the show, Damon. Do it. <laughs> well, I think, I, I, and just real uh, brief defense of, of of him thinking that this is only going to be one season. And you know, again, we've talked about whether or not it's actually going to be. But 
you know, he mentions a lot in interviews how the, the, you know, the whole number one, it's the whole idea of, you know, nothing ever really ends. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see what happens. It's just like, well, no, the world continues. Like characters don't all just get a happy ending and then live happily ever after. There's, you know, uh, implications of what happened that carry on to shape the larger world. And he always cites the ending of the original Watchmen comic, which kind of ends on a cliffhanger. It like it ends, you know, with Warshak's journal getting sent to this uh, right wing uh, newspaper, the New Frontiersman, and the guy saying, like, should I publish this? And his editor saying, well, I leave it entirely in your hands, which is a line that Cal actually right. says later to Angela. Um, but, you know, that kind of ends on a cliffhanger. But it's also not like, oh, well, we need a sequel to watch the comic immediately. It was just like, well, no, you know, it's really what what is going to happen in that world. So I think there's a part of him that's like, well, I do like the idea of just one and dunning it and saying, you know, hey, what what does happen in this world? Is Angela going to become Manhattan? Is, you know, Vike going to like, who knows? Like, but again, I don't think HBO will let this stand pat and i think they're going to do everything they can to convince lindelof to come back or to appoint a worthy successor to continue the story because the show has just been insanely successful it broke the viewer the live viewership uh, uh record for for this show for the season it got 1.6 million uh live views which doesn't seem like a lot but it's actually a lot for a cable show and that's especially t- for well it's not just cable it's 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 streaming hbo right subscription based right that's so- just and I think that's just like TV viewers. So that's probably, you know, exponentially higher when you factor in. Yeah, you know, it's it's more like 10 million, million once yeah. you factor in everyone that watches it for like the Including week. piracy and yeah. And well, well, not even counting piracy. There's there's even more of that. But yeah, you know, they made something good. Um, they made something really good. Uh, I I kept waiting for there to be an episode where people would just be like, nope, it lost me. You know, it, this is they they just went too far with it. Uh, you know, I, I well, that was episode one for the racist, basically. But after that, it was like, oh, but even you know, still even still, it wasn't that many people that were like that. I didn't see any comments like that. And, you know, if you look at any message board reading anything about fucking Star Wars, it's like half the comments you see are, oh, raise Mary Sue. She got too many powers and, you know, all that bullshit. Oh, Ryan Johnson um, ruined Star Wars. He's not a Skywalker. Can I? But you know what? Those people are right. so built into that fandom that they can't let the the the, the property go. I think there was not sure. a ton of attachment. Like, not that, you know, everyone loves Watchmen, but it wasn't like, I've, I've been waiting for this for 30 years and you fucked it. Like, it was just like, oh, well, I like Watchmen the comic, but I'm also inexplicably a right wing racist, so I therefore do not like the series. Like there wasn't much of that. I don't think it was just like whatever. Uh, you know, I I, I follow the hashtags on uh, Twitter pretty closely, and a few groups on Facebook. And of course, you know, if you're in a group on Facebook, you like it, right? Whereas, uh, you know, it's the hashtag following on on Twitter. You're going to see good and bad. And I just I didn't see any negative comments. You know, especially from Black Twitter, it was just nothing but positive. Even you know, Dr. Manhattan, who used to be a white guy becoming a black guy, I thought like that's going to rub some people the wrong way. Uh, and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't, it was just, well, this is, a, this is a black love story, you know, between yeah. this guy who is a black guy and he's a God. Like it was just, it did, it never, it was just the, the representation mattered more, you know, the, the characters being real mattered more, um, you know, showing these people, on screen, it was like the first episode. Uh, there was I saw somebody they tweeted out like I've counted in the first twenty minutes of the the premiere seventy five different black actors on screen. 
you know, and, and if you, you look at everyone that's in the opening scene of the Tulsa massacre and then everyone that's in that theater for the uh, for the, the Oklahoma performance, which I mean, you th- you, you, when they when when Angela goes into that theater and Will's there with the three kids, they're on the stage and it's like the whole stage is set up for Oklahoma still. And doesn't it feel like forever ago that we first saw uh, I, I, I can't even believe that's know, the same the, show. Captain, Judd watching Captain, Oklahoma. Yeah, Captain Crawford watching Oklahoma in that same theater. Feels watching like it was like Oklahoma. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you look at it, like how many black people were in the audience in that scene, right? In that opening mm-hmm. scene. Uh, and yeah, this this was like people were fucking blown away by this. It was like, hey, here's a, you know, we always talk about like, well, when is there, when are we going to have a like a real honest conversation about the history of racism in this country? And this show fucking did it in just nine episodes. And only, I'd say, maybe half were really heavily focused on that. The rest were more character-driven and were a little bit outside that world. Um, still anchored in it, uh, though. Uh, it's it still, it was, it never felt preachy. Uh, it never felt uh, like they were, the, it was just a loose understanding of it. It always felt like it was provocative on purpose to tell a real story. Um, and yeah, I think as long as you're going to do that and root it in something real, like that and you know especially trauma or generational trauma uh and why people put masks on nothing's ever done anything like this you know the original comic didn't didn't do anything to this depth um you know especially within the minds of of people and why they become superheroes these were these were flawed people but it never dealt you know, never delved much yeah. into their and past the not other as, than, you know, suited. Sure. Sure. I mean, you get like a couple of like brief moments of, of awfulness, you know, especially with Rorschach when he's a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you don't get it for every single character. Right. And that's what the show did was like, look, there's the, you know, the thing that makes all these people, uh, you know, united and unique is they have these, these traumas that they're dealing with or not dealing with. Right. And, and that's what makes them interesting. So whether they are good or bad, uh, that's not the point, <laughs> you know, like Rorschach isn't, uh, a, you know, his, his politics are terrible, but he's still a really fascinating character because he's a well-written character. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this at you know, two hours and 20 minutes in, uh, and, and you're one of those guys who, um, you know, thinks that it's been, the world's been too tough on white guys <laughs> for too long. <laughs> nobody nobody's still nobody, listening to this show that fucking thinks no. that, but yeah. Yeah, but like no, <laughs> nobody, nobody who's like saying, oh yeah, Rorschach had, you know, terrible politics. He was homophobic and racist is saying that that makes him a bad character. They're saying that that's, that's the compelling things that make him a good character. He, he mm-hmm. you know, was out for, for blind revenge in a lot of cases and blame people for things that weren't their fault. But people do that in real life. That's how people really fucking are. Right. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, he was co-signing on what the seventh cavalry was doing. That was a byproduct of him trying to tell the truth about what Vite did. And the, the new frontier has been publishing his entire journal, not just Rorschach is canceled is what you're saying. Essentially, (laughs) Rorschach is canceled. So many people just didn't understand that. They're like, well, Rorschach wasn't racist or foam, like all the sex. No, this is the logical progression of his, of his kind of shitty libertarian, like, you know, fear based, uh, like ideology that expresses in his journal to the end of his fault because he didn't send his journal as a manifesto to tell everyone Mm -hmm. else to, to, 
to think like he did. He wanted to expose Veidt. It's the fucking new frontiersmen that were like, oh, hey, everyone loves all the other shit he said about poor people and about prostitutes (laughs) being, you know, you know, terrible, awful, filling the, you know, streets. Like, so we're going to run all his stuff. And and somebody picked it up and became their ideology. Like that became the Turner Diaries. I mean, that's the same, you know, it's the Turner Diaries in the Watchmen universe, essentially, is what his journal became, which is not why he wrote it. You know, he just wrote it, basically sent that last chapter, but then they turned it into his manifesto, like you said. Exactly. And, and um, just just the idea that, like, that's where the show picks up, right, uh, is just phenomenal to me. Because it's not just about racism in the past. It's like, hey, he, here is the world in which we live where there's all these fucking clan motherfuckers, which, uh, you know, very much mirrors the, the world of you know, all these races coming out of the closet now that Donald Trump is president, right? And I mean, it's it's always been there, but now it's kind of more out in the open, obviously. Um, but then connecting that to the world of the Watchmen in such a specific way, you know, with his journal and this this right-wing newspaper, it's just like, and that is just, just your foot in the door. And then from there, we get all these other fucking amazing characters, and then it ties into, like, the bigger characters of the Watchmen uh, in, in ways that are... You know, I mean, the, the, Dr. Manhattan doesn't even show up till the second to last episode, right? But you feel him sort of hanging over the entire show the whole time. Um, you know, we, we've watched this week after week and speculated over and over and over. Uh, I can't wait to go and just binge the whole thing start to finish. And same, all the things that I'm going to notice this, the like, not just watch an episode again after you watch it once, but like binge it start to finish and be like, holy shit. Look at how much more there was that we didn't fucking see. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I feel like there's going to be, you know, like The Leftovers, which is, is mostly, you know, not many people have watched The Leftovers, uh, and they should. I'm glad you pushed me on Absolutely. it. Um, yeah. This actually, if you go back and you listen to our Game of Thrones uh, podcast uh, the, for the episode six of the, the finale, um, you mentioned the leftovers to me and I, I talked about it on that podcast, how I'd started to watch it. And then I'd like put it off for a month or two. Like I hadn't mm-hmm. finished the it first yet. It's not as good. I mean, it's just not, you know, well, and I had paused for a little while because like I was watching that and handmaid's tale. And it was like the first season kind of felt too much like the handmaid's tale. So I was kind of like, I can't do two shows that are this much like interreligious cults. It's too, too depressing. Um, but man, yeah. I mean, just, just, there's so much, there's so much to consume. Um, I haven't gone back and rewatched all the leftovers a second time. I wanted to like mostly forget a lot of it to, to hopefully have mm-hmm. it be as fresh and new. I don't know how long I'm going to wait until I rewatch all of, uh, season one of the Watchmen, but I, I, I will. And I probably will binge it like all within like one or two days probably. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's a lot more fun when they force you to wait week after week to watch a show. Because when I think about Stranger Things, it's it's like the whole season, one, two, or three, feels like just one big episode. And there's so many moments you lose when you binge a show and you don't have time to kind of just take a break and process it and think about it. Um, you know, I, I, I really think that, you know, if if Netflix wants to continue what they're doing, they really should think about releasing things on a weekly basis rather than just dumping the whole series on one day yeah yeah no i think so too i mean even you know 
Mandalorian as as you know it, it, it's been a fun experience too just because of that week-to-week nature and not knowing what's going to come next I mean it's obviously not nearly as deep yeah. of a show as that but and having no fun. preview no preview yeah, at all yeah. you're just like I don't know what's going to happen it's like going to fucking pick up a brand new comic book where you're like I have no idea what's in these pages I have no fucking clue yeah, you don't get a preview at the end of a comic to be like, hey, you know that cliffhanger from this episode that we left so you bought, bought by the next episode? This is what happens. And that it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice, actually, in a way. It's kind of refreshing just going to something blind. But um, it is. And Watchmen did a great job of doing previews that gave you no fucking clues about what the next episode was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, there was only one clue that somebody noticed was... Um, you know, when when the four people from the cavalry come to go kill uh, Looking Glass, there was like a brief little frame of uh, Agent Pete in that bunker uh, with his flashlight. And you can see a couple of dead 7K guys on the ground, which people yeah. like zoomed in on and they were like, oh, he killed him. And it's like, oh, OK, well, all right. That was <clears throat> probably should have shown that one. But for the most part, they 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 hit it well. Yeah. And it clearly that wasn't they didn't want to make a huge point of that, at you know, the, because they'd even show that scene so it was just like no well of course he uh you know he made it um i kind of wish yeah. they had though not that i'm real big i do too bonds, but, but i was just like you know he he's a prepper he's one of these like you know hayseed right wing guys it's like a prepper has all his you know guns and ammo ready has you know purified water ready canned food in a bunker <laughs> if i even and, call him hayseed he's trying yeah. to save the world you ignorant hayseed <laughs> right Right. So that's like their whole thing is like, you know, preparing for the end times, the end of the world. And would have loved to just see this guy who, you know, seemingly is, is starting on his path to recovery after learning that this the whole squid thing was not from another dimension. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he throws the thing in the trash and goes back to get it. And it's like the first day he's not wearing a hat or, the, you know, his mask or whatever. And these guys come to fucking kill him. And I would have loved to kind of not just like to see him kill them. But to see him kind of like overcome his fears and uh, kind of, you know, become powerful in that moment and and kind of rely on all of the drills and preparedness he'd been drilling for, you know, getting yeah. ready for sort of coming out in some kind of way that that, that was a, an act of self-defense. I would have loved to see that scene. Yeah. It would have just been cool to see him have like his John Wick moment where he fucking, you know, somehow uh, disarms like six of these guys and and takes them all out. Um, Like like all the places you can hide guns in a bunker. Like how many could there be? Oh, there's hundreds. Trust me. I've been working on this every day for years. Yeah, no, for sure. And if we see Angela is resourceful with how she hides her guns, imagine how resourceful he is. Like Angela is popping things out of fucking, you know, fireplaces and shit and bed. He he doesn't have any family. He doesn't have any family to take care of. So like what? <laughs> or to judge him for his psychosis about right. stashing guns in every or you know crevice of his fucking bunker. Um, All I do is eat beans, watch American Hero Story, and stash guns. That's what I do. Cover my face in aluminum foil. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, great series. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, we'll definitely be back if there's a season two. Uh, we'll be back for a season two also. Uh, I'm sure. You know. Um. You know, the real the real the real like boss move would be just to convince Alan Moore to do it. Like that would be the logical like next part. He would never fucking would do it. But like if you miraculously, he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm eccentric. Like I'll fucking I'll roll the dice. I'll just run a show, even though I have no experience running a television show. Oh, like, I've I would love never the chaotic energy television show before, but I see no reason not to now. 
he'll be fired immediately, like two days into shooting, but whatever. It'll be fun. It'll be a nice chaotic energy to bring to season two. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and we didn't know anything about this show before it was going to run. We just heard, oh, it's Damon Lindelof, uh, Jeremy Irons, uh, Regina King, like, those are all great people. It's HBO, so there'll be titties and dick and swearing guns. Uh, and we just kind of knew. That should be their slogan, titties and dick and swearing guns. Right. <clears throat> if you're listening to HBO execs, I'm, I'm available for work. Uh, but we just knew this was going to be something that we could probably review every episode and have a shitload to say about it, and we were not disappointed. Um, you know, We're also doing this review of Mandalorian and, we weren't sure about that either. And it's kind of been more of like a eh, we'll review, like every two episodes together, kind of a pairing. Cause there's just not much depth to it. Uh, I, I, I still feel like, you know, we could, we could get like a year or six months out or so from the show and then like have so many new things that we've discovered that we missed before. We could do like mm-hmm. a whole nother like meta review of season one. Cause there's just For so sure. many fucking details of this goddamn show to process. Um, so uh, God bless the writers, the actors, the showrunners, and all the people that made this so fucking fun to uh, to watch and to review. Probably the most fun I've had reviewing anything since Game of Thrones, even more so. Yeah, <clears throat> me too. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that concludes our uh, our Watchmen review. Um, I you know if you want to uh, check out some of the other reviews we've done, obviously we mentioned the Game of Thrones review. Uh, we've done movie reviews before. Uh, we have um, done. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, we're doing the Mandalorian review right now. Uh, this week, episode uh, six and seven, we're going to be reviewing as a tandem. Uh, and that'll probably come out on uh, Friday uh, to coincide with the release of uh, Rise of Skywalker because they're releasing episode seven on Wednesday this week. So they don't interfere, you know, with the uh, with the with the movie coming out. Mm. So, so we're just going to pair those up as one uh, and review them, and that'll probably come out on Friday. My theory um, is that Ray is a clone, and that also Baby Yoda will appear in Rise of the Skywalker as adolescent Yoda, uh, and he'll still be mute though; he still won't have any words. So, <laughs> he won't be talking with that fucking infuriating <laughs> backwards. But yeah, no, I, I hope so. Uh, if if, that, if he's going to talk like that, then just don't talk at all. Just fucking stay mute your entire adult life. There you Yoda. go. There you go. Um, so yeah, we but, we've done some other film reviews recently. We did Interstellar. Uh, recently, we did uh, Vice. Uh, we did Moonlight. Uh, so if you like kind of you know a little bit more outside the Disney realm, some more kind of artsy shit, uh, we do have those reviews. Interstellar. You know, I mean that that's Christopher Nolan, kind of more mainstream. But I feel like that film um, it does a few things that are very unconventional in the, in the world of uh, sci-fi. So check it Absolutely. out. Yeah. Um, we have a if you if you've liked our uh, Watchmen review, we do a political podcast every Thursday called Move Left Idiots, available in the same feeds that you're listening to this in, uh, where we uh, look at the news of the week from a socialist perspective. Uh, SoundCloud.com/slash Move Left. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, and you can rate, review, and subscribe over there. Uh, just search for Move Left Idiots. Uh, we're on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Move Left uh, Idiots. Right. Yeah. Facebook.com slash move left idiots. Um, we are on Patreon. If you want to support the show at patreon.com slash move left merch is available at tinyurl.com slash move left merch. I'm merch. on Twitter. At, <laughs> I am on Twitter at move underscore left. And I am on Twitter as well at smut collector. That's spelled with an ER, not an OR.
And please remember to cook your eggs before eating them. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> or go vegan and don't eat eggs at all. Yes, or that.